Hello, welcome to another meeting of the uh, Corona Committee. It's our 103rd meeting today, and the topic uh, today, or the motto, is Swords to Plowshares. That is something that has kept us busy, uh, busy for a while um, against the backdrop of this war um, and um, the um, efforts being done here. And I have to say, I'm really gobsmacked how little reason um, is being applied here. Uh, for instance, uh, uh, Steinhofer um, uh, seems to be um, um, playing with the idea of a nuclear war. I, I don't know, maybe I'm uh, too pacifist, um, but I can't see what the reason uh, behind it all might be to um, old school um, militarism. Um, they teach our children that uh, they're supposed to argue things out um, verbally rather than hitting each other. But that's what it's all about. We have language as humans, and that is why we developed it to solve our um, problems that way, and it's really uh, not acceptable that we use these absolutely obsolete method, uh, method, uh, methods to solve our problems. There are so many other things that are becoming obvious. We can see ever more um, vaccination damages, which is actually becoming ever more um, obvious, even in the mainstream. We might look into the question of why uh, this is... Uh, um, whether this is actually replacing the official narrative now, the, i.e. the new narrative that nothing is really happening, that, that the vaccinations are no good, um, and that people are uh, rethinking. And you can't notice it uh, on the other hand because they still are uh, driving for vaccination. So, Werner, um, Rainer, what would you like to say? Well, I think if we can order this in any way in these mad times, like we've just said before, I think this is uh, in accordance with uh, what our uh, Mr. Juncker says. He says, in politics, in European politics, and I do fear that um, somebody told him, tell him how it works, that this is done elsewhere as well. We just uh, try and test to see what the population does. We just uh, throw the ball in the ring. If the people go along, we'll carry on. And this is what this war looks like. They say 70% of the Germans love this war, that uh, there's lots of war in the Ukraine. They're happy about this. It doesn't affect us in Germany. There's um, nothing that we're going to fear, have to be fearful. Werner's going to tell us otherwise in a minute. And I think it's the same approach. They just try it. They give it a shot, wait for the reaction of us. If we don't find back, they carry on. And against this background, we have two, I think, very interesting videos. If you recall this um, correctly, you'll see the continuity. We had a short video, um, which I'm going to show in Chicago next uh, 
Sunday of Mr. Fauci, where he says explicitly, natural immunity is much better. Somebody asks him uh, whether a respective person has to be vaccinated against uh, the flu because they've had it. And he says, no, if you've had the flu, it's the best vaccine that you can get. Even Gates says this. Sometimes they see the date of light. So this madness, which is tested here with conflicting information, will be carried on. So let's Recall it, Fauci says, no problem, natural immunity doesn't need vaccination. Now, we hear Mr. Drosten saying something else, like in the first video. Well, well we have to realize that if we didn't test, then in many countries of the world, we wouldn't even know that this virus was around in the first place. Ergo? The tests are the thing. The tests have to be attacked worldwide. That's where we're going to pull that house of cards down, not with appropriateness or not of the measures. That um, presumes that we have a pandemic, not with wrong treatment measures, because it's a test. Everything else accepts there is a pandemic. If I tackle the treatments, I agree to there being a pandemic. That's why we have to attack the tests. There's natural immunity that has been discussed at length, which is much, much better than any vaccination-induced immunity. Uh, we know 95% of these vaccinations is no uh, effect. And now, against this background, Ms. von der Leyen steps up with a complete fake background and talks about a COVID uh, certificate from 1st of July. This is the Juncker trip. She's her, his successor. So let's listen to what she has to tell us there. Or has recovered from COVID, can get one. And uh, we have right now 15 member states that have already signed up. And from the 1st of July, all 27 member states have to apply these EU digital certificates for the COVID. I am planning now to start my tour through 27 member states for the next generation EU, our um, recovery and resilient plan. And I'm very curious to test and to see how this certificate will work. Thank you. The story is frightening, the woman is frightening, the background is frightening. This should really reach out to those people who are not from resistance so far, but who start maybe to think about whether it was such a good idea to get a experimental substance jabbed. These people should by now worldwide start to think about whether it's time to get up, which is the only solution as far as we see it. Rena, maybe you want to introduce Professor Dr. Werner Berkholz, who's with us today. Yes, we had him maybe two or three times before um, on uh, different topics. He's a source of uh, 
much knowledge. He can speak about other uh, topics as well. He's a former professor of electrical engineering at Jacobs University Bremen. He's a partner of ISC, uh, the International Standards Consulting GmbH and Co-KG. Today, we have different uh, topics that we'd like to discuss. First of all, it's interesting you are a member of a, an expert uh, committee. Can you say something about this, please? Yes. The expert committee bases on the Infection Protection Act, paragraph 5, section 9, which was in May 2021 introduced. And in that, the legislator or as the executive, the government or the Federal Ministry for Health is commissioned to enact a an external evaluation with a commission which is to uh, evaluate the effects of the um, legislative framework. And this is not limited to the legal aspect of it, but it also should cover how everything was managed. Did it work and what were the lessons learned and what can we improve in the in the future? That's the idea of such a commission. May 2021, um, the people who are in this uh, committee, nine of them, one of them is me, uh, were invited by or appointed by the different political parties and uh, then appointed officially by the ministry. And the other nine were directly appointed by the health ministry. It started off with 18 members. One member has now become the head of department for the in the health ministry. So she left the committee because she's one of the examined parties. And it was also in the press that another member left the committee. Who right. was who was that? Uh, who, who was it? I don't know what you're talking about here. Christian Drosten. Uh, well, he, was, he left him. Yeah. Yes. And so now it's 16 left. And well, I am, of course, not allowed to talk about the content of what is discussed there. And I'm not doing this because that is confidential, which in the past have apparently been broken by somebody, unfortunately. But what I can say is that on the 30th of June, the report will be published. That is my 99.99% uh, forecast. Uh, there was a lot of discussion on it. Can there be any conclusions at all? My opinion as to what has been discussed there is that I divide what the content of the report is in my three categories, and one is how good the actions work. I'll just call it process quality, um, if I use quality management language. That is something that can be very well assessed. The second point is the result quality. Did it work out as it was intended? That 
is an area, and I think that's obvious, where there is quite some deficit in the data collection that would allow a secure assessment, scientifically based. But wherever possible, there are going to be statements, and there are going to be statements uh, in case of the lack of data. And the third category is what we can say least about, which is uh, secured scientific findings. That is something that is usually uh, only around one, two years after the event. And originally, the delivery date was uh, end of December, and that has been postponed because the body met uh, mid-October for the first time for its constitutional meeting. So just note, in May it was commissioned, and in October the work started. And of course, everybody said, no, this is too quick. We can't do all the work in three months. And there was an insight on sides of politics uh, that was uh, led to the postponement of the deadline to the end of June. So when, uh, if we look at this now, and uh, we heard it from Stefan Kohn in the um, court case, it was uh, mentioned as well. And it um, can be gleaned from the plans how the crisis um, um, task force was composed, and there was also um, a, um, a position or a person who uh, should evaluate the work of the um, crisis uh, task force, but this is still, uh, this person hasn't been appointed yet. And that is something that should have happened uh, all the time along the way, um, that somebody um, monitors and at least after a few months, um, in retrospect, uh, it should have been analyzed whether um, things are going wrong. And Stefan Kohn, um, who uh, had this uh, report um, that he made for the Ministry of the Interior called false alarm, um, indicating that there were serious question marks. And that's something that should have been done much earlier. And the decision that was taken now that this is an extended function of what should have been done in parallel in the crisis task force. But I think that it is quite um, depressing that this was decided in May um, and uh, now two years after the beginning of this whole drama. And there will be some evaluation um, by an independent body. That's the key word here. It should have been three things. The first thing that uh, in an up-to-date fashion from March, even February 2020, something like a task force ha should have been commissioned, which regularly looks at what measures are taken at the time in 2020, the lockdown, for example, do we see if it is working? Is it having an effect? Um, I don't have this at hand now, what the data were for that, of the so-called incidents. And if we point that time into the uh, graph of, or, or the time, the development of the positive tests, um, it is now in review, 
visible that there is no change of development seen um, by tests, by lockdowns. That would have been an elementary rule of project management, of uh, quality management, of project management, of any type of management, uh, to check up whether what I thought of is still working, actually. And the second point is something else. The crisis task force is something else than this evaluation commission. That uh, is people who have been uh, appointed internally. The parliament had no effect on that. And uh, I'm not sure how often they meet. And uh, what they do is uh, they come up with some statements at short notice, which I don't know, though. And our commission, the evaluation committee, that is something one would normally have in any type of crisis saying that, okay, the task force manages the crisis, but then after that there is a long-term review and to find out what were the lessons learned. And that is our role here. But as I said, um, the biggest shortcoming is that uh, there was um, nothing from the beginning on, on a weekly or at least monthly basis, re-evaluating the situation. Are the actions taken appropriate or not? And let me come to the ruling of the uh, Constitutional Court in Germany, which agreed to the German emergency stop break, as it was called, uh, which clearly states and very explicitly says any limitation of the basic laws has to be evaluated at great care to verify whether it is appropriate. Not in these exact words, but from my memory. Uh, and it said at that point when that was announced, um, we can't uh, do that on the basis of the RKI, that this was justified, which was quite uh, triggered sight, quite some astonishment. And then it says this only applies until June. After that, the legislator have to regularly and with great care verify whether it is all justifiable still. I don't see that having happened. But that was in early summer of 2020 um, that we had this uh, ruling that uh, referred to uh, the free exercise of religious um, uh, beliefs uh, when people weren't allowed to uh, go to church uh, for Easter. And I remember that the Federal uh, Constitutional Court said at the time that uh, the interference with fundamental rights is so uh, severe that a continuous um, evaluation of its appropriateness is required. And I have uh, minutes of the various uh, crisis task force um, the the uh, task force commissioned by uh, the Berlin government, the Berlin uh, Senate of the city of Berlin. And um, it almost feels like they weren't involved at all. It almost um, felt like decisions were taken at a different level and then they were a bit involved in implementing these decisions. But the task force needs to question itself uh, continuously. And again, as with the federal task force, um, there should have been a role um, 
of uh, internal questioning rather than um, or independently of external evaluation, and that didn't happen. Well, from what you say, there is a. This is a little bit like a, a front-up function and no function behind it. I've seen this elsewhere. Well, Werner, I think this is more than obvious, but the result might make it even clearer. I have a question concerning the categorization, uh, this classification. Um, I think you said that this is your uh, classification, the process quality and the result quality. Where's the difference? Well, let me give you an example. If the Robert Koch Institute instructs the health authorities to deliver the positive cases at short notice, and that happens, or it happens in some states, and uh, in some it doesn't, if it is not uniform, that is a deficitary process quality. So how is it actually done? Um, uh, what, what does it look like? What's really done? Uh, or, for example, if the tests, as um, we've criticized in the health committee as well, if these PCR tests are neither standardized nor uh, positive, false positives or false negatives are evaluated regularly. There's no quality um, review known to the Robert Koch Institute, and they don't think they are responsible, which they would be, uh, because they hand out these data. So all the activities uh, in terms of processes, not in the legal sense, uh, but in, in, in proceedings, uh, what's going on? Is it working? Is it not working? For example, the data quality of Robert Koch Institute. So this is the question behind this. Um, well, now I understand automatically what result quality is. So if you put in garbage at the top, uh, you only get garbage out the bottom. Well, yes, at least uh, the outcome is questionable. And um, uh, as we say, garbage in, garbage out. That's quite true. But uh, my opinion is, well, okay. In some way, you try to take the opportunity, the information that you have, and uh, at least draw conclusions that apply to a limited extent, at least. Well, can I ask a question? Um, at the time, uh, when I uh, made this petition on the 27th of March 2020, that uh, we need a representative study to see how dynamic um, infection rates are. Um, to perform that in different regions, to see how many people fall ill, how uh, severe is the disease, how dramatic is the situation. And there was an effort at the time, I think uh, something was uh, should be started then, that um, I believe was never started. Then there was one in uh, Munich, which was started um, with a big uh, uh, effort over two uh, years, and then the uh, uh, German Economic uh, Institute 
was um, involved, and I used to work there. I was the personal secretary of uh, uh, Mr. Zimmerman at the time, but uh, they have this socioeconomic panel that I remember very well. Um, that was great. They had a database which was very well structured, and they could fall back on people to perform studies, and they were supposed to be involved there. But of all these studies that uh, happened, I never uh, saw any results, never heard about them. Um, do you hear, know anything about this? Well, if I go to the Robert Koch website, there is a link to these studies. I didn't check it up for the last couple of months. There was a couple of results, however, but uh, very fractional only. And one would assume that in such important issues, especially this Munich study, which was at a large scale, I've not seen any results so far. I googled it a couple of times uh, to see whether either on the Institute's website or on the Robert Koch Institute's website. Uh, no. What you asked for, that is exactly what Iceland does. The small Iceland, smaller um, population-wise than uh, Bremen, the smallest federal state in Germany, they are uh, role models in doing this. They do well-defined tests, and parallel to that, they test at somehow statistically well-selected uh, people to see what the incidence is in these um, <clears throat> um, these people. And they did a very good prevalence study as well. And as to my knowledge, uh, Germany has not come up with anything dependable. But uh, my knowledge may be a bit outdated so far. Well, one thing we have, we have, um, Viviana mentioned it already, Stefan Kohn, a, a brilliant, uh, highly qualified, excellent member, uh, staff member of the Federal Ministry of the Interior who is res uh, responsible for uh, risk evaluation and population protection. Uh, as far as I know, in March or April, or at the in, very beginning, yes, May. in May, in May he wrote a I report. Think, I think he must have started it in March or something. I don't know, but it was published in May. So as extensive as it is, I think he did work a couple of months on it, I would expect. Well, he must have, um, because that his, was his job as a um, person responsible for protecting the population and somebody whose job is evaluation. So he must have worked on it for a while, but it was leaked um, by somebody and it was it became public in May, I think. Uh, a lot of uh, work must have gone into it because it was uh, based on extensive data. I looked at it early on and in an interview, we also mentioned it um, with Robert Witter, I think, because it was well-founded. And what's special about this paper is that nobody has questioned uh, the authenticity and correctness of uh, the analysis. The only thing that was done, uh, right, right, Nazi, Nazi, um, he wasn't competent, he must be done away with. Uh, so I'm curious to see, Werner, what you will see as a result. Um, whether it matches what Stefan Kohn wrote back at the time, 
and there are a few other anchors. There are different studies that have looked into this, into the question of whether the measures were uh, beneficial, uh, the lockdowns, for instance. Um, Mr. Ioannidis found that it um, is counterproductive, uh, that it actually damages the immune system if you uh, keep inhaling all the microorganisms uh, that are caught in the mask, uh, the um, fungi, etc. But it's not only him. Um, just looking at the facts reveals this, the best example being in the U.S. here, the two states of North and South Dakota. Uh, nothing was done in South Dakota because the governor said, what nonsense. And in North Dakota, um, the measures were all implemented. And what do we see? In both uh, states, we had the same result, i.e. the incidences, and I can't hear that word anymore either. The incidences in both states were uh, identical. The uh, severity of cases was the same or even better. The state of Florida is not doing anything. Everybody's going there who want to live a free life. And there is no sustainable negative findings that uh, the non-implementation of measures has led to any damage. So I'm really uh, curious. I know um, you can't talk about it now, but I'm really curious to see what your result will be, whether it'll be um, a match to what Stefan Kohn said at the time he found, to just repeat it, there is no uh, indication, um, there is no um, indication of the fact that there is a pandemic here, number one. So by now, we have to assume that there never was one, that it was only a PCR test pandemic. Even if the virus was made uh, artificially or partially artificially, the immune system can handle it. And secondly, he saw that if any measures will be implemented, this will lead to incredible economic and health um, damages, and that is what happened. And he also anticipated that uh, somebody will have to be held liable. We're not there yet, but in the US and in India, this is about to uh, get started, and we will see a lot more about this. And with uh, this committee, uh, Viviana, we will play a crucial role. So you can't say anything about the results yet, but about the process, you can talk, right? Yes, according to my perception, I, I can say there is intensive work going on. Uh, everything else will be very awkward anyway. And what's interesting in this context also is that Stefan Kohn, if I recall it correctly, he um, did interviews as he was asked with about 20 people on their different expert areas. So he didn't think these things up. He orchestrated it um, and um, brought the information together from a number of experts, if I recall this correctly. And it's interesting also for the audience, Switzerland has just published such an evaluation. I can send it to you later, the documents from Switzerland. I think uh, I didn't I didn't have opportunity to look at it in detail as yet what I don't very much like about these documents is at first sight of the 120 pages I think there's only a handful of images and a lot of the information that we are talking about 
and that we argue about are visible in diagrams, in charts. So there is a lot of arguments going on. Well, maybe it is argued in such a well, good way that it can do away without the charts. We'll have to see. But it's not uncritical. That is what I can say so far. And what I clearly recall is that the Swiss criticize on how they deal with the elderly people. And Wolfgang Wodov is going to surely agree that uh, this is something that was anything but appropriate, quite the contrary. So that's my personal opinion, of course. If the Swiss tell us that, that is a kind of confirmation. <coughs> Incredible, yes, great. Um, that is, of course, not a nice thing uh, if there are a few graphs, because the picture says more than a thousand words, and we've uh, seen uh, really impressive graphs from you and other people here where we can see that forecasts never uh, materialized uh, the reality that reality was uh, completely different from the forecasts and it's very important that uh, this be made um, palpable and visible like that um, at the RKI we've seen again and again that figures are presented and in the small print then they kind of hint at what we really found at um, um, other points as well. But the way it is presented, it gives the wrong impression that is um, contrary to reality. So I'm really looking forward to this. I'm really curious to see the, the results. Um, and I'm also um, curious about uh, Stefan Kohn. I think that um, he uh, very clearly uh, predicted a lot of things correctly, and it was his job as the person responsible for protecting people, also protecting the critical infrastructure, and it's in crucial to see how, uh, what impact does uh, such a virus have on uh, staff levels in uh, hospitals, etc. Uh, are there any risks that they can't uh, do their job anymore? And in the uh, court case, um, it came to light that there were supposed to be um, exceptions for people who work in uh, critical infrastructure, nuclear power stations, etc., um, that um, they should not be um, affected by quarantine requirements. And that is a bit strange because they should be sent to quarantine um, particularly early so that the virus can spread. And if they tell uh, people to hang on and keep doing their work, then it can't be that bad because um, then um, if the virus were that um, dangerous, then that would really jeopardize the critical infrastructures. Let me give you an example from someone, an acquaintance I know. There is a power plant in Germany where during the shift, 15% of the people were present, of the staff. And of course, they had to run double shifts. So this is what may happen. <clears throat> we do have a big problem. Hello, everybody. We have a big problem. Hello. That our society usually has monitoring systems to um, realize um, misdevelopments um, that applies to um, the monetary system, to nursing systems, to medication, uh, to the emergence of uh, infectious diseases. We have certain indicators that are um, monitored there and that um, ensure good comparability. I know the figures from early 2020 of 
the influenza uh, working group um, submitted um, they, those were great uh, figures and you could see how many people were affected by uh, acute respiratory uh, illnesses um, nothing much had changed there and um, other uh, diseases as well how many people are submitted to hospital with with different diseases and we had many such monitoring systems throughout society and one of them um, um, many of them are attached to the ICWIC and they make sure um, to monitor whether certain measures are helpful or not and those monitoring systems were all switched off the government ensured that these monitoring systems across the board suddenly weren't available anymore and couldn't deliver any valid results anymore. And I think that meant that we were uh, taken to um, instrumental flight, basically, as uh, a society. And that is something that was replaced by individual observations when we looked at what's the quality of nursing for instance that we saw that um, old people died of thirst that they had no social contact anymore we heard horrible stories that are all very well documented and very credible but we have no scientific monitoring of this of the nursing quality during that period so if you want to um perform a scientific study you have to rely on individual uh, stories but a lot of stories are fake of course that are um, um, really over exaggerating things uh, so that if you pursue it you um, are exposed to ridicule so it is very difficult to generalize on the basis of these individual stories that is what science uh, uh, is supposed to do um, but the monitoring systems that are the basis for this were hampered, were um, basically cancelled. And I can really uh, say that this was um, a, a societal um, instrumental flight that we went through last the last couple of years. Right in the beginning when I did the petition, there was an article written by statistics experts. I don't know if you remember. It actually was called blind flight at the time. It was two people. I think I'll have to look it up if I can find it. At that point in time, I think one of them uh, started a petition as well, um, asking for supply of data for statistics and they are saying we are um, full uh, blind, completely blind, no valid um, idea. How is that possible? Wolfgang and Werner, that nobody uh, realized that or did people realize it? I know Wolfgang, you kept saying there are excellent people in RKI and in other institutions who do their job very well. And they did provide good uh, figures that I know. Uh, I've worked with them. Um, Martin Schwab works with them. How is it possible? Um, does it mean that something is wrong at the top and that the uh, staff are intimidated to the point where they don't dare say something anymore? Uh, all I can say is we all know Lauterbach uh, doesn't want any studies to be performed. He doesn't want anyone to review the data. 
that um, basic knowledge of corruption theory, that corruption is as more inefficient and uh, gets as far as the top as you put it. So that means if you corrupt the chairs of the bodies, you can um, stop a complete authority. And that is exactly what we see. It's the uh, directors of the authority institutions who pressurize the scientists that work for them. That is something that we have been seen for the uh, two years. So um, I can imagine how desperate the people are who want to do proper work, careful work, according to their training, because they have a senior who pressures them to lie even. And the same certainly applies to the media. Well, we can see it that um, there are some journalists who are tentatively uh, trying to come out now. Um, some, of, Most of them have been fired, and the ones that remain, they tentatively try to come out now. So, Wolfgang, do we have to assume that the people working on the uh, figures in the RKRI, that they are aware of lying? That's only a, a, a part. Um, that's the good ones, the critical ones. Uh, you only notice that if you're critical, uh, if you only uh, keep doing what you're supposed to do and you do it um, without questioning, um, and then you won't notice. But if you are um, somebody who keeps thinking, if you actually use your brain for um, your uh, job, then you'll say, okay, we can't do it like this. And But if you do speak out, then you'll run into problems. Well, how do you assess this, Werner? <clears throat> Is a possible result of your work could be that, first of all, severe mistakes have been made in that area that you described as process quality, for example, the PCR test aspect. And the second, as a result, we have got wrong data and do you think that something like that, if it were to be published that way, we don't know if that's going to happen or whether in your group there is a given route, uh, would that have any effect? I'm asking, um, uh, effect in reality, uh, because I, I'm asking because we've seen that uh, in Europe everything which it has pointed out to the direction that there's something going wrong, had no effect at all. I'm especially talking about the PCR decisions of the courts. The first was from Portugal. It was in a court of application that should have had a consequence immediately. The second from Austria should have had an immediate consequence as well. Nobody cared a damn. Uh, the only thing was that the chaos got too big that Mr. Kurtz had to resign. And the third decision was from Reiner. What happened here was really uh, topped up everything uh, in bending the law um, by uh, warranting 
the judge, the experts, and the witnesses, something that has never happened before, not even in the Third Reich, as far as I know. And the fourth decision came from Turkey, and again, no response by the government. Uh, they simply pretend as if these rulings had not existed. So, uh, it is an evaluation that you do, and if you come up with a negative finding, you um, express your concern. It could be kind of uh, going through emotions. Um, would you think there is going to be an effect in reality? I'm a professional optimist, really. And what I can see is that there is some serious interest. I can't tell you why or by whom but uh, that they really want to have um, the, the truth coming out. If, however, there are any seriously negative things in this, whether there will be the courage to draw the necessary consequences, well, I'm, I, I won't, wouldn't bet on it now, but at least this is not hopeless. In our society, we have different uh, separations of labor and the subsystem which has taken most influence here is money, is economics, and they pressure the governments quite strongly and uh, blackmail them as they have been doing it with Greece for a long, long time, and they are doing that in other countries as well. They are creating economic pressure that politics can't stand up to. And in addition, politicians are deliberately brought to the top, prepared for what was coming, and who played along. So these two areas, um, in preparing the indicators for media independence, these were two areas that you have to be afraid of, uh, affecting the independence of media. One is politics, um, for example, that was uh, like in, in China, authoritarian states, or in Turkey, we saw this, that critical media had big problems, and all media, like in the US or Germany, are simply purchased by big money, and that economics um, present the picture to the people that they want to present. Um, we can't see much uh, directly with our eyes and ears. We depend on the news. And uh, if somebody wants to change the world, it's easiest to do that by buying the media or pressurizing them. There's these two ways to do that, <clears throat> with politics, with money. That's what we are seeing now with disastrous effects in, as far as the public opinion is concerned. If people would find out what was done to them, they would all take to the streets. That would, hell, hell would break loose. And uh, no media, uh, no politics could hide away from that if the media were clear, but they thought of this in due time and prepared. That's certainly one key, that the media, well, there are five, six, seven, eight media groups worldwide, and everything depends on them, really. As you said, you just have to 
start at the top, then you have the whole, because in terms of efficiency of corruption, you just by the head. The draft vote trick is genius, because there everybody really felt at the top of the game who was invited, said, thank you for inviting me, I'm happy to come. And uh, that's where they all were invited, all the bosses and the, the only the big bosses, of course. You have to be big if you want to go there. And this psychologic trick um, that the, these uh, people who collect there, who gather there, told themselves how, how important they were. Young people wanted to be important. They were brought there as well, the global young leaders. Everybody wanted to be part of the game. That is where you wanted to be. You You'd be part of the elite if you were there. And that took part of the self-awareness that they all felt great, although it's all thrawed and and and, and uh, uh, crimes, really, not doing what politicians should do, listen to the people and try to um, uh, look at the different wishes and opinions and find uniformity. Um, they didn't look at that. They just looked up what were, what they were gratified for and what not, and what they would get promoted for. That's what happened over the past 30 years in politics and the people in it. And so this school, this academy, which was set up in uh, Davos for this uh, so-called independent elite, is something we didn't understand. We took note of this much too late. And I remember that I thought, well, and of all great people there, um, we just were tricked. As it's as simple as that. We never saw it, and you gave the dates um, just now. Um, 30 years ago, 1990, that's when they started their Young Global Leaders Program. And that's important to say, uh, to repeat, because everybody hasn't heard what we've all said. That was an invention of uh, by Klaus Schwab, but Klaus Schwab was at Harvard University in the 1960s in the US. And one of his professors there was Henry Kissinger. And with the help of a CIA finance program, tried to take influence on um, European policies. They changed their foreign policy at the time from um, nuclear deterrence to let's now directly influence policies in Europe. And for that, they used Klaus Schwab, who then, while he tried to influence uh, South African um, South African politics, uh, uh, trying to give them the nuclear option, um, bypassing, undermining all um, sanctions so in a criminal way. And at, in parallel, he started the Young Global Leaders. So that this uh, started and among the first graduates were Ms. Merkel and Bill Gates. That's the date we never saw. And that people should be so corruptible that they are obviously, and that doesn't only happen today, but that they lie to the population. Um, I can only uh, explain that by saying that uh, what we see as the uh, young global leaders who are in leadership positions now are all people who have no biography, no other qualification. The only qualification they have is rhetor uh, rhetoric um, talents. Other, you wouldn't use anyone else for that. 
I would like to talk about the new statistics that you looked at, which concern, which are about the vaccinations and mortalities. I talked to the uh, network of doctors where we send people to who have side effects of the vaccinations. They see very new illnesses, and we see a confirmation of what uh, Professor Burka from the Pathology Conference said, the infiltration in the aorta, um, that in the vessel walls we have ruptures and tumors um, start growing in places um, where doctors have never seen them before. So we are having that summarized up of new uh, diseases that were very, very rare, if existent at all in the past. So we see lots of things here. And uh, the people who have these are auto ruptures and die from it. In addition, uh, many of them seem to um, develop myocarditis, maybe not dying from it, but the overall um, constitution of these people seems to be quite destructive. What uh, did your analyses lead to if you, when you looked at the current figures? Well, maybe I can uh, share my screen. Looks good. We can uh, now see um, um, which uh, data do we have in Germany. We have the uh, death uh, data from 2021. They're available in good um, quality, but there is no indication of vaccination status. I try to categorize it with a few uh, tricks, but it seems to indicate that there is excess mortality, particularly among the uh, older people. Um, but this is nothing um, solid enough to make any claims on that basis. With the incidences, with RKI, we again have this problem. We have never had, as far as I know, a breakdown by vaccination status. Only um, when uh, people were symptomatically uh, positive, um, they uh, that was available up until a week ago. Um, interestingly enough, um, this is no longer available now, so I won't comment on this any further. The data from the UK are different altogether. There's the Office for National Statistics, the ONS. They also have the uh, death data for 2021, and uh, those include detailed indication of the vaccination status of, of the people who passed. At the beginning of December, I had shown such data already, and I referred to the age bracket 18 to 59. And here we saw um, duplication, a bit more than a duplication of the um, uh, mortality probability uh, for the people affected there um, if they had a vaccination. Now let's take a look at these figures. This is a first um, analysis result. What can we see here? The blue curve is for the unvaccinated in those various months how many people 
died um, per 1,000 uh, people of the population extrapolated for the year but looked at on a monthly basis. That sounds complicated. You don't have to understand it in detail. What's important here is the difference to the red curve. Those are the people who had received a booster. And here we can see how high is the probability that they didn't die of the first, not at the second, and not at the third uh, jab. And um, we can see that um, a number of them, of course, didn't die. But we can see here the average is around 40. And here we are at 200, roundabout. That's easily five times as many. And I took a look at the next two age brackets as well. This was 18 to 39. And uh, those other um, age groups have a similar picture. So that is clear evidence. Vaccination, the vaccination costs a lifetime. Um, it's relatively few here, of course, in uh, sheer numbers. But the interesting thing is the uh, difference between the uh, non-vaccinated and the boosted. And these are solid data that the Brits have made available here to us. And there's no reason to expect that what happened in Germany is so different from what happened in the UK. What I had touched upon earlier, the incidents in this case, extrapolated to four weeks, um, Canada weeks 9 through 12, not the most recent data, but nothing much has changed here, really. Um, now compare the red bars. May I jump in here? This is not the incidence of uh, diseases, but it's positive tests. Is yes, it? of course, I should have mentioned that. So positive, um, the people tested positive. So uh, corona cases, according to the usual incorrect uh, parlance. So this is always... Um, um, extrapolated to uh, per 100,000. Um, so you have the red curve, the boosted, and the blue uh, bars non-vaccinated. And we have a factor three to five um, by age group. The people who received a, a booster um, are much more likely to be tested positive. Now, whether this really is SARS-CoV-2, and it is well known that the PCR test responds to all sorts of things. Doesn't matter here. These people are tested positive, period. So if anybody is a risk to society here, then it's these people with a view to what the um, vaccination mandate for the health services is concerned. It makes no sense to um, oblige uh, those people to get infected with something else more frequently. And what's interesting is that there's no difference of our load. So once they get ill, they happily pass it on as well. So they're four to five times as uh, frequently ill. We don't have this data available in Germany, but we do have, broken down by federal states, we know what the percentage of the population has been boosted and we have the incidences. Now, if we compare the figures on the left, let's uh, focus on the booster vaccinations here. 
Maybe you can't read the figures, but you can clearly see Saxony is the lowest figure. And if you go to the top left, it gets more and more. Incidents. Now, so Lower Saxony is tops with 1100, and Saxony is at 4500. And now, sorry, nonsense, that's the vaccinations. 50% to. Uh, I, I gave you the wrong figures already. Bremen, 64% boosted. Hamburg, 80, uh, 61%. Lower Saxony, 64%. Now, and if we look at the right-hand side, um, where the incidences are shown, that's a very similar picture. Bottom right there, Thuringia, um, and then uh, up to the uh, coast, it gets more and more. So that's the exact opposite of what we had in 2020. The closer you were to the coast, the fewer positively, uh, the fewer people tested positively, the fewer ill people you had. So what did I do? Um, that is, of course, suspicious. So I uh, took the figures and calculated a linear regression. And lo and behold, it's uh, quite uh, surprisingly easy to do. And the result is this, this is syringe at the bottom left, and then at the top left, I'm not sure which um, state it was, but we go from 500 to 1100 here. If I haven't miscalculated, that means that 25 more boosters lead to uh, twice the incidence. And if you extrapolate it to zero boosters, unvaccinated, then we get uh, a similar picture um as what we just saw in the uk so we uh, have a negative correlation here and from this graph we have a certain probability of causality as well so to cut a long story short the vaccination doesn't stop the spread of the disease nor does it um, prevent any severe um courses um, or deaths and we see that from statistics from uh, New Zealand, Canada, the US, um, and other places. So, to cut a long story short, this vaccination is no uh, use, but it is damaging. And this data, I should mention that as well, if you uh, take a look at the antibody status, depending on the vaccination, it takes two to six months before there's nothing left anymore if you take the criterion of antibodies, but at the end of the day, um, they, they, as the saying goes, the um, proof of the pudding is in the eating. Uh, we see it with the positive uh, figures with the incidences. I think we are at uh, five, six, seven hundred on average, and uh, two years ago, we were at about 40 around this time. Now, how is that possible if we have such a high vaccination rate? But obviously, the logical conclusion is uh, quite simple, i.e. the vaccination is no good, but it seems to be, at least to some extent, it's counterproductive. Uh, it has nothing to do with viruses. Well, I can't say much about this because I'm not a, a physician, but statistics tell me that this is everything but what it should do. It's counterproductive. Well, when uh, all of this 
is, how shall I put it, uh, the development after the vaccination, the adverse effects and the deaths are now globally more and more covered by the mainstream media because it is so clear that it can't be pushed under the rug anymore. In the context of the uh, work of our committee, we assume that this is part of the so-called Great Reset, which biggest platform is the WEF. Um, it's not just this pandemic, because they did know that the people will find out sooner or later, but also the uh, war going on in Ukraine. So put in a lot of chaos to convince the people that we really need a one world government because the puppets that they've presented to us so far, probably for that purpose, are not able to handle that chaos. Is that really the case? As many people say, it's not too bad if they uh, fight in Ukraine and even the strategic nu nuclear attacks here, that would be the best solution. It's not going to hit us. Can we say it that way? Or is the development uh, much more uh, severe than it's being discussed currently? Well, let me take away this uh, graph now. Um, I was in, I've been to Nagasaki and Hiroshima, and I saw firsthand what um, things look like there, and I got a lot of information about uh, what it looked like after the uh, the bombs were dropped and th those were small bombs 25,000 kilotons uh, compared to the megatons uh, megaton bombs that are used uh, today back then it was only the atomic bomb now it's the hydrogen bombs that are much more devastating if you've seen what happened to Japan once then you wouldn't ever say that oh I'm not afraid of a nuclear war or it won't be that bad and I won't be affected and as a physicist I can understand this and justify it what happened there let me go back to the 60s I can remember one of my first professors uh, that was around 1970 uh, sometime in the 60s early in the 60s we were all um, uh, we all got very scared. We measured the fallout of the uh, atomic bomb tests. And that was the reason why so quickly um, the atmospheric nuclear tests were uh, discontinued and everybody seems to have uh, participated there. The fallout was quite significant and reason prevailed. We know from Chernobyl and Fukushima that the quantity of radioactivity that is released um, independently of whether it's a nuclear bomb or an accident in a nuclear power station, that those are incredible amounts incredible quantities and there's a good reason why um, radioactive iodine is distributed after an accident uh, in a nuclear power station uh, to make sure that the receptors in the human body uh, be um, blocked by this radioactive iodine um, rather, rather than the uh, nuclear materials that are released into the environment so the people who survive the first blast will die of radiation sickness. 
and we're talking of a hundred of hundreds of thousands in Japan who perished years um, months and years after um, the nuclear blasts and anybody who believes it won't be that bad, I would uh, recommend they watch two movies from the 1980s. One is from the UK, the other from the US. And um, these films. Well, you shouldn't watch them before you go to bed because you won't be able to sleep. It's a very realistic depiction. I can... Um, understand everything they showed there you can't imagine it if there was a major nuclear war then we'll have a nuclear winter that means of what is left agriculture will be extremely limited initially and uh, according to the um, British film. I'll uh, give you the information on it right now. I'll just show it to you. Just a second. I have to um, share my screen here. So this film uh, from the UK is called Threads. It's a mini-series of three um, Parts. Um, I, I used to live in the UK at the time and I couldn't watch it. Um, it was just too brutal. And it was the scariest TV show ever made. And that it, the same goes for The Day After, um, a film made in America, uh, in the US. As a physicist, I can um, fully understand this. And a person who has worked for 10, 15 years uh, with radioactive materials and was trained, of course, at the uh, Nuclear Research Center in Karlsruhe. I know that after a nuclear war, the world will no longer be what it used to be and there will be emptiness all, all, all around. So that must not happen. I do recall Chernobyl. At the time, we did a local monitoring program searching for cesium and other isotopes together with the university where the the engineers for nuclear power plants were trained and um, I organized it at the time <clears throat> and uh, we monitored foodstuff, the soil, the fruit, the milk. Um, we followed the whole food chain for over a year and what we noted is that the highest values that we found were not the Chernobyl values. Cesium um, doesn't have such a half uh, time. Uh, it was strontium in it as well and in the Russians and, uh, and other biotopes we found high levels of radiation, which was the radiation still being present from the atomic testing, the bomb testing, that opened the people's eyes who were afraid of Chernobyl, that there were other things that still were effective. And um, after a nuclear war, 
that would be a massive release of contamination. Nobody can protect from that would be in very, very high stratospheric levels, uh, spreading it globally, and um, that will be continuous. It wouldn't stop like uh, rain stops. It'll come again and again and again, um, and it'll be a threat for generations to come. I think it is so irresponsible that these weapons still exist, and the many uh, attempts to uh, reduce them and ban them have failed. Well, just to make it clear again, what will happen, even I, I don't think that Germany will be um, spared, but what will definitely happen in such a major conflagration um, being one of the first measures is that a big bomb will be uh, fired at a very high, uh, great height, and then the electromagnetic impulse will, uh, electromagnetic pulse will destroy all electronics that we have, and then... That'll leave us all alone, then. And those few thousand privileged who uh, live in good bunkers shouldn't feel too uh, sure that they'll survive it because the uh, opposing side will know where the bunkers are and a, a direct hit. Even if the bunker um, isn't shattered, will lead to such uh, fast accelerations similar uh, to the accelerations that a um, an astronaut will experience in a rocket uh, but it won't be g10 but g100 and nobody can survive that so these people shouldn't feel too safe i.e particularly our uh, government or all those governments around the world who believe that they can survive this so a few days ago i heard uh, something by mr habeck that he wouldn't be personally involved oh yes uh, you would be if it comes to it, then there won't be no German government anymore. For this reason, um, that is probably not so well known and it's not being um, uh, talked about, but that's the way it is. The impact created by such a nuclear blast is such that uh, this leads to acceleration that not a person can survive in anywhere near and anybody sitting in the earth holds worldwide, uh, far enough away, they won't have their phones to call anybody else. None of this will work anymore. <clears throat> and how can we explain that there is a kind of nearly hypnotic situation that occurred here, that people just ignore it completely, blank it out? And, I find this is kind of strange. That's um, specific stupidity. Well, what I just read is a good ex uh, comparison. The uh, education level or the smartness of the people should be measured by looking at 60 years ago in the uh, operation manual of a car, they were told on how to adjust the uh, valve play in the engine block. And today it says, don't drink the liquid acid from the battery. So that's uh, a, the story of uh, all the cats in the microwaves. That's the level we have got down to. That's a clear indicator of the... Um, um, Yes, and it explains it all, really. Um, we should talk about the psychologists, uh, to the psychologists about this. <clears throat> and 
the attempt to get the people who are involved, not the people in the background. They don't care. They know if they lose this, they lose everything for all times. But the puppets on the strings uh, that we have in Germany, as a Mr. Harbig and Mr. Scholz or whoever, I don't think it makes sense to talk to them because they are simply not smart enough to understand what you have just explained. And uh, there is another problem. <clears throat> they are, of course, not um, in the smallest point uh, aware of uh, that they're not going to be part of the table at the evening dinner. Um, they will just simply be kicked out when they've done their job or when they didn't. So they'll be thrown under the bus when that's over. Uh, but it's important to talk about this because there is a large, large group of people who, for example, in the RKRI do a proper job and the BMI as well in the Ministry for Internal Affairs. These are the people that we have to talk to. These are the people who sit on the switches. They are the ones who only carry out the orders, but the moment where they say we are not going along anymore, the other side will be defenseless with their approach. And that is what we'll have to address. Or do you disagree? I would uh, contradict you on the first point. If one of those two films that I um, presented to you, if anybody saw uh, them, then they'll be afraid of the nuclear war, and then they'll understand it. Then it will affect everybody. Well, never underestimate your enemy, as they say. They do have their qualities, but with some of them, it may be more, with others maybe less, but with many, my impression is that their moral compass um, is off. I think that the people in government or at the top shouldn't be underestimated. Well, is it possible that there is some weapon systems, for example, or types of bombs? Sometimes there's talk of neutron bombs, things like that. Could it be the case that there is something which has this effect but uh, only kills, in uh, inverted commas, life and leaves everything else intact so that if you got into safety, uh, Europe can be repopulated from outside and it's not a lost territory? Could it be that people have this kind of uh, imagination? And uh, is that what they dream of, perhaps? Well, there was this idea at some stage that the nuclear bombs could be redesigned so that they would emit mostly neutrons and the explosive blast wouldn't be that bad. I'm not sure if that was pursued to the bitter end, but what I also can say on the basis of a fundamental knowledge of physics, if I have a large stream of neutrons, then I don't only kill the people, but I also activate all sorts of materials. And then the environment and technical devices, but also nature, uh, whatever um, elements there be, will also be radioactive. And I never heard of this being further pursued anymore. 
My uh, 70% probability answer would be no, there is no such thing. If I uh, destroy something by an explosion, by heat, then it is destruction. Uh, if I don't do that, then it's destruction by activation of materials by uh, previously non-radioactive uh, materials. It's similar to the uh, nuclear power stations that need to be uh, torn down. There's so much of the materials uh, used in those power stations that have been uh, activated that the problem is really uh, their disposal becomes the problem. So the neutron bomb would be one approach. The other um, approach where I can actually see something is the so-called hypersonic um, uh, weapons that don't travel at twice or three times the speed of sound, but uh, 10 times or more um, uh, the speed of sound. They um, have two effects. One is their um, explosive uh, charge, but the kinetic energy um, that they carry um, with their huge speed has an enormous destructive power. I could imagine, and this is speculation only, that such a weapon uh, at 10 times the uh, speed of sound or even faster could have such a penetrative power. Just imagine the kinetic energy increases um, by the square of the speed. So five times the speed means 25 times the energy. And so, well, the benefit would be that it would be actually localized. <clears throat> and you can crack any bunker that way, I'd say. It's like a, an asteroid hitting the face of the yeah, Earth. Yeah, I'd say so. That's a good, a good comparison. The most well-known um, meteorite that hit uh, is uh, the one 60 million years ago near Yucatan, uh, the Yucatan uh, Peninsula. I would have to look up how big it was, but the speeds are probably comparable. And that led not to a nuclear winter, but a meteorite winter for a couple of years. And they say that this is the reason why the dinosaurs uh, went extinct, because they had no food anymore. So there's other species that would uh, extinguish now. Well, it seems like the spiders and rats would um, best be able to handle a nuclear strike. Well, us humans are probably the most sensitive beings on the face of this earth. And too daft to see this, that we're not only gradually um, sawing off the asp, uh, the, the branch we're sitting on, but that we um, would eliminate ourselves, or at least our culture, uh, with one fell swoop. Pure madness. Werner, could you explain the speed and the, the, the five-fold um, increase there again? Yes, the formula. I don't. I know you're not so happy with formula, but the energy uh, by the movement is a half by the mass by the speed by the speed. So, if I have the if I five times or ten times the speed of a physical body, then I have a hundred times as much as energy if the mass of the body is the same. So. If I have a rocket or a bullet, um, there were no explosive uh, bullets, which just lead bullets in the past. 
um, which caused enough damage. And then we have the explosive warheads now, but the speed was uh, one, two kilometers per second, which is virtually nothing. <clears throat> Werner, um, um, if you uh, throw an apple against the wall, it goes uh, whoosh. And if you uh, throw it at 10 times the speed, you have a hole in the, punch a hole in the wall. That's a very good example. Thank you. That, that, that takes me through it. And the positive aspect of this is that uh, you probably could do a strategic strike um, in order to chirurgically uh, surgery, uh, have a surgery in war, surgical, surgical strike, that's the word. And um, yes. Well, you could target uh, the very uh, government bunkers, for instance, or the bunkers of the, the NATO headquarters somewhere in Belgium, and similar strategic targets uh, could be um, focused on. As a high-ranking um, officer in the military or as a, a government official, I wouldn't uh, feel safe at all in uh, the event of such a um, uh, war. And they do know this. So we can assume that they want to uh, do some more fear-mongering and try to keep us uh, um, away from things that we should think about. Um, they're talking about viruses that kill us, about atomic bombs that kill us, and in the meantime, they do their business in the back door. Is that it? That is one facet, but the other facet is I think it's quite positive that uh, the situation is such that the people who uh, are in control or at uh, in the position of power can't feel safe anymore. That might uh, influence what they do or don't do, because if it's my own life that's at stake, I'd think twice about it. It makes little sense uh, to uh, move uh, somewhere else in the world to escape a nuclear war. That doesn't make sense. That's true. So that means death will be faster in fractions of seconds, or it'll take a couple of uh, hours, days, and be much, much worse. Or it might take years, as we can see uh, with the Japanese example. There was the story of the uh, survivors of Nagasaki or Hiroshima, a 15-year-old girl, who was severely um, uh, exposed to radiation, who made these uh, origami um, uh, figures, uh, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, hoping that it would have a um, beneficial effect, and she passed after a year or so. But in Nagasaki, they still remember this girl, uh, and they have this... Um, um, out oversized uh, representation of this origami um, figure, or um, that's that really impressed me. Or um, the other story: um, a um, three-year-old child was buried with her um, bicycle, and the father survived. And that's really quite moving when you when you hear those stories horrible really horrible and if they really had these plans it is so 
vicious. And if you only think about this and play with our fears, it is also very cruel as well. But uh, I assume that um, we can assume that they are only playing with this. I can't imagine that they don't know this and uh, that this is always shown as the fear figure um, to to scare the people away. It's a chimera, really, like the HIV narrative. It's like stuck in the 80s. It's all coming back. All this old stuff, um, which uh, may be a, a, a deep-rooted fear in the people, like Chernobyl, that experience was fundamental, triggering fear and rightly so, it was a very coining incident. I was small at the time, and uh, I remember it impressed me that we all looked for some cloud coming up and that would rain down on us and uh, that everybody had to hide away, you couldn't drink milk and all of these things. I could contribute a personal uh, experience and as somebody who was um, knowledgeable about this as soon as i learned about this i told my children and the neighbor's children if it starts raining come in immediately put your shoes um, in a container and uh, clean them regularly and wash your hands regularly that's the least because there is fallout um, everybody around us thought we were a bit crazy and our Minister of the Interior at the time, Mr. Zimmermann, said it's not that bad, so don't worry. And a week later, um, they um, issued that very advice. It's criminal. Well, maybe we can see something positive as light at the end of the tunnel if we see the overall picture. The overall picture is that if we don't completely misjudge this and it's all open and can be read up, this is what we can see with the Great Reset, what Mr. Schwab wrote there. And he argued that in 2030, um, then there must be people then, otherwise he wouldn't write about people anymore. He uh, writes that nobody will have anything, they will have everything and his people and we'll all be happy and he'll be even happier, of course. That points towards the fact that they're working with an illusion again here, that they are playing again with people's fears so that the Ukrainian crisis and the uh, Third World War looming in the background are part of uh, the fear-mongering a continuation of the corona story um, um, because corona doesn't work anymore in many parts of the world particularly the US after this legendary uh, decision that uh, Leslie Mnookin's uh, NGO achieved no mask anymore 90% of people said no mask anymore great and they dance on the planes which speaks uh, of uh, public opinion being uh, completely different from what is being said by the media so in other words, if the plan is to uh, make us afraid so that complete control is achieved over us by the introduction of a one-world government, by the introduction of a digital currency, um, then uh, we still have to be around, otherwise they didn't have to control us anymore. So there is light at the end of the tunnel, but we have to do all we can, of course, because in such a dangerous situation, a single spark could um, 
explode a powder keg that was never supposed to explode. So we have to keep going. Uh, just to illustrate this, we should have two politicians from the state of Vanuatu uh, with us now, and we weren't able to establish uh, contact with them now. We'll have to reschedule that, it seems. They are very um, worried that they might be taken over by the uh, UN or by the um, World um, Monetary Fund, uh, International Monetary Fund, and that's the same thing, basically. There's an understanding of um, a memorandum. It's not an agreement, but I'll show you. A memorandum of understanding was signed, which deals with the cooperation of the WEF, World Economic Forum. We know who owns this with the UN. In the UN, there are certainly some good people, but at the top, nothing is as it used to be, and the UN is factually owned by the WEF, as we will see from this clip now. Can we hear it, please? General and Klaus Schwab, the founder of the World Economic Forum, will sign a, will witness the signing of a memorandum of understanding on a strategic partnership between the UN and the World Economic Forum, which outlines areas of cooperation to deepen engagement between the two institutions and to jointly accelerate the implementation of the 2030 agenda. So, das ist aus 2019. 2019, and that's the moment where many experts um, that many experts refer to. I'm not one of them. I'm only listening to the experts. Experts say when the UN was taken over by the World Economic Forum by Klaus Schwab and his people. As I said, just like with the RKI, there are good people there still, but at the top nothing goes anymore and so we have to keep up our strategy we have to talk to people we have to inform people knowing that we won't change the top but hoping that those who are in middle management and in lower management that they respond that they react and that they finally rise and say enough is enough it has been enough for a couple of years now but now the alarm needs to be sounded because otherwise this could go out of control. I hope not. And just like you, Werner, I am an optimist. I always believe that we can um, still turn things around, particularly when uh, we are uh, nearly about to fall off the cliff. Uh, somebody will help us and we will be able to turn it around. But I hope that's the way it ha will happen. Well, I have a story about the Cuba crisis, if we do have the time. Uh, as we said, the smallest spark may lead to an explosion. There was a Russian submarine which was ordered to go to Cuba during that uh, sea blockade, naval lockdown, and uh, that had so-called atomic torpedoes on board, that submarine did, and there was a political commissary on that submarine plus the commander. I think it was even three submarines. One was the commander of the three, and one of the two, I think it was the political, political commissionary and the other captains, because they were under put under pressure 
wanted to use one of these nuclear torpedoes. And the commander-in-chief said, no, I won't do that. And he was um, blamed when he got home. But he, for me, is the real hero who possibly stopped the Third World War at the time. That is real courage to step up against everything. An incredibly important example, and we can see now that these people who are um, managing us uh, without any responsibility are only powerful because people listen to them and obey them. And all of these people have their own brains. They can think, the soldiers, the policemen, the, the officers, they're all well-trained people, and they all have experience. And if they don't blindly obey anymore, if they engage brain, then they would have to act like this officer on the submarine. And it's high time that we notice that there are such people in the police force, in the military, who actually use their brain and live up to their responsibility and say, no, we won't go along with this. That's so important. I remember when the German armed forces, the modern German armed forces, the Bundeswehr, uh, was formed after the war, they uh, were talking about the citizen in uniform. People were proud of being citizens in uniform. They're still supposed to be. That is what uh, our armed forces are supposed to be, according to our uh, constitution. So that uh, um, uh, uh, the people who abuse the trust that we've uh, placed into them must not be obeyed anymore. There are possibilities for um, civil servants, for soldiers, for policemen to uh, say, no, I never uh, swore an oath on what you asked me to do here. Yes, on a small scale, one should uh, mention the two um, the two uh, Air Forces officers who um, uh, who did not want to take the injections and went to court for them. These are heroes. Yeah. I used to be a soldier, Werner, myself. I actually uh, signed up to the army for a long time um, by accident, but I left uh, when I realized what kind of people uh, they are. Um, I said, no, I can't take this, but uh, these two people that you just mentioned seem to be the absolute exception. There used to be this film, this excellent film by Wolfgang Petersen, Das Boot, where uh, somebody was on board, a war correspondent, um, Herbert Grönemeyer was uh, uh, the actor. He um, did the right thing. Where's Herbert Grönemeyer? Uh, where are those people? What are they? Uh, are they waiting for the light to come back and then everything is over? Or are they still afraid of their careers even today? That would be the worst time just to show Werner and Wolfgang what kind of a powder keg this is and what people we are um, dealing with, who, are we, who we are supporting in Ukraine. We have another video which uh, refers uh, to a, an interview uh, between Tucker Krausen uh, with an English partner, I forget his name, and it is about Mr. Zelensky. We know a lot about him by now. But let's listen to this so that the people who still believe that we are um, 
covering our backs to uh, continue our careers that they realize what disaster is happening in Ukraine with the help of NATO, the U.S., and our own help as well. Five billion dollars for training for 600,000 soldiers, a lot of uh, bribes, and that's the, re the upshot. You've got a country led by a man uh, who, even before the war, Axios, uh, The Guardian, uh, the Atlantic Council, all of them were reporting that Zelensky, even though he ran on an anti-corruption ticket, uh, has, through the uh, Panama Papers and other such leaks, uh, has stashed his millions offshore like most corrupt oligarchs have. And so even before the war, his corruption was known. And then you fast forward to what he's done over this weekend with the banning of 11 opposition parties. And I want to note at this stage that uh, he banned these opposition parties, including, as you mentioned, Tucker, the second largest in his parliament, while the Nazi elements, and I use the word Nazi, not neo-Nazi, because these are actual Nazis that aren't neo in any sense. They're the continuation of Nazis as we know them and study them in history. Uh, and Bandera, the man that they uh, revere, uh, was actually a Nazi, and they've made him into a national hero and icon. The Nazis in Ukraine have not been banned uh, by uh, Zelensky. And so this is a very interesting point, that you've got a man that's, uh, that we're hailing as a democratic icon who's fighting for freedom and democracy in our way of life, banning all opposition parties, controlling the, uh, through the state the media narrative while refusing not only to ban Nazis, but having, after not banning them, incorporated them into his state as of as a battalion formally serves in the Ukrainian National Guard. Now, people say to that in response, yeah, but Majid, there are racists in every country. No, the analogy here is, imagine Tucker in America, the KKK had a formal battalion in the US military. That's what we've got with swastikas and Nazi insignia inside uh, the Ukrainian army. And then Well, what to say about that? And this is not somebody who has any reason to talk rubbish, and it falls into place with all other reports, at least the ones that we see in the alternative media. There was images of Mr. Zelensky apparently taking cocaine. There is these strange videos where in some kind of band with high heels and women dressed as a woman, seeing him dancing. Um, all of that can be explained away in some matter, but altogether, that's not possible. So this is why I think that everybody's got to wake up now. And uh, especially the points that have just been made and the people who are at the triggers should think if they don't take action now, things may get out of control. And then I think we can only help from, hope from help from above. But it always says, help yourselves, so may God help you. And um, carry on, otherwise this could get into a gigantic disaster. And that's what they want to. But they don't want to kill us in it, at least not to that extent, because they do need us. Otherwise, this great reset with 2030 as a markdown um, wouldn't be the target. So, we go ahead, Wolfgang. Viviana <coughs> uh, had asked uh, about the topic of hepatitis uh, infections in children. Uh, she wanted us to talk about this very briefly, and I uh, looked it up again. And there are some uh, scientific studies 
that analyzed this new type of hepatitis of liver um, inflammation and um, they go in the same direction as um, a pathologist Anne Borchert uh, uh, takes. Um, so killer cells have been found in uh, the liver that destroys the liver. It looks like it's a new type of liver disease that never existed before. And uh, laboratory um, studies have shown that the spikes uh, injected into people uh, play a role here. So uh, uh, apparently it's a new f uh, type of autoimmune um, disease and the immune system destroys these liver cells. What I haven't quite understood yet, um, and I always fought it in the past, um, it wasn't easy in the health administration I always fought uh, children being um, vaccinated against hepatitis B, and uh, I think that's crazy. Um, it is uh, transmitted um, sexually or by um, uh, blood, and now they uh, um, it's part of the uh, multiple uh, vaccine, so they... Um, they're all vaccinated against hepatitis B. And I don't know what uh, role this uh, vaccine plays. Now we know what's in the um, vaccines of, of BioNTech, etc. There are so many different uh, vaccines that are uh, injected uh, into our children uh, with um, amplifiers, etc. This has been recommended for decades and increasingly in the US uh, 16, 17 routine vaccinations for every child. And the observation uh, has been made that um, autoimmune diseases and allergies have uh, really taken off since these uh, vaccination campaigns started. I used to be the president of the Rheumatic Society in Schleswig-Holstein, the state of Schleswig-Holstein in North Germany. And I, um, the, the rheumatic uh, diseases are autoimmune diseases, and it was always unclear where they come from. And that's why um, there are ever more young rheumatics. And it's possible that this autoimmune disease, uh, just like we, um, DMS, which is also becoming ever more uh, prevalent, that they are the consequence of vaccination strategies. And we, we just don't know about this. But we have to remember that this might be the cause. And uh, the epidemiological uh, studies that would have to compare between vaccinated and unvaccinated children and uh, would have to try to find indicators to show whether vaccines can have such uh, late consequences are not available. There is no such research. Um, we don't spend money uh, on that. We uh, spend our money on vaccines that aren't well uh, researched, that aren't well monitored, and where there are huge financial interests behind uh, the uh, broad, uh, the wide use of these vaccines, the wide sale of them. What we can see now is that, yeah, it's um, possible to do it. If we uh, allowed all that to happen without looking closely, now they're um, completely loose. Uh, um, I think we're 
uncareful, particularly with our children. We have to be much, much more careful. We would have to trust much more on our natural immune system, on um, on what we get uh, from living with each other. So I've be uh, become much more careful, and I am very suspicious of the vaccination industry, which only tremendously grew over the last 10 years. Uh, previously, as a, uh, an official uh, local doctor, I ran vaccination campaigns. I wouldn't do that anymore now. I know that uh, from my family who lives in America that the babies on the first day, the day they are born, they are vaccinated against hepatitis B uh, with the reasoning that it could be that uh, with drug uh, addicted uh, parents, they could get into contact with uh, a syringe. And uh, what that means for the young body is uh, incredible. And uh, what you've just mentioned, and I'd be interested in knowing this, there's a number of explanations possible, uh, saying that in the uh, vaccination there was something in it that went wrong. That would be one possible explanation. Yes, or uh, that the combination uh, that uh, the uh, vaccine that creates the hepatitis um, um, triggers this additional, uh, what the hepatitis vaccination, that this could trigger this thing. I don't know uh, what the cause is, but we have to keep this in mind and we need well, to study it. Some of the children are very small, one to four years old. So the question is, are they vaccinated? Are those the ones uh, where the parents really uh, did the off-label um, application? No, they're unvaccinated children unvaccinated so then it's a shedding phenomenon what well things can be transmitted um, via the mother's milk uh, we know that what's clear is that this hepatitis uh, um, form um, has nothing to do with, with viruses it's an autoimmune uh, disease so the immune system uh, has failed. The immune uh, cells aren't coordinated anymore, and that's why they destroyed the liver cells. They're killer cells, the T killer cells, that are supposed to um, kill um, um, cells, and they, they attack the liver. They're uh, thymus lymphocytes, so they uh, that's an acquired immune reaction, they learned something that makes them destroy the liver, their own uh, body. How did the children learn this? How come this uh, incorrect immune reaction, those things are still unclear? Um, uh, research is being done, uh, it was, became apparent particularly in the UK, and there are studies uh, where liver um, samples are taken. Um, it not only occurred with children, but also with older people, and um, studies are being performed there. So what's the what's the prognosis if uh, you have this, that the liver cells are auto-attack? Is there any treatment possible? Well, they first uh, tried to uh, treat it with uh, isomed, then with cortisone, but that was with adult people, uh, adult patients, and they managed to stop this process for what uh, period of time and what it means for the future of these people, um, because cortisone has a lot of side effects. But uh, there's a lot of experience there because there are many um, 
immuno um, uh, immune diseases that can be um, treated with immunosuppressants such as cortisone but everybody who has gone through this who is a patient like that will know what it means uh, in terms of uh, lack of quality of life and risk of contracting other diseases there's a lot of experience here Wolfgang you pointed this out a couple of times already that you expect in the face of the fact that our authorities um, and in Germany as well as in the US and all other European countries don't do their job anymore, that you assume that the so-called vaccinations are experimented with. We don't know what the substances are. And if I got that right, uh, within the authorities, we only got the response, well, we trusted that the producers uh, put in what they say is in. But we don't know really what is inside the substances. We were faced with the question whether this is deliberate. We, um, do they um, give different uh, jabs? Or is the quality of the various uh, vaccines so different, depending on how they're made, how they're stored, how they're transported, etc., how long they're stored? Um, so. Uh, the variants that we see that only 5% of batches have severe toxic side effects. Is that the consequence of isolated um, production processes or are they the consequences of planned modifications of ingredients that um, are used uh, for experiments? That is something that is unclear that still needs to be clarified. I heard an interesting presentation uh, yesterday who uh, uses a different methodology to analyze the crystals found in the vaccines. And he said it's pretty obvious that what we saw in Spain, that that is very likely to be something other than graphene. It's probably chole uh, cholesterol crystals that uh, manifests uh, in the form uh, as seen on the um, pictures, but these scientists talk to each other directly and they find to find out who um, uh, found the truth there. It's Ernst Hummel, is it? Yes. I, I've heard of that as well, and he's quite right, probably, that this is also possible, and a lot of what he says does make sense. I have looked at the Spanish studies. There's some uh, British and a German study, which I can't find anymore, unfortunately. Um, they did uh, introspective uh, microscopy with objects that were more complex. Um, there exactly the uh, fingerprint of graphene was found. So I think Evan is right with his cholesterol crystals, but uh, that is something that has a different um, electronic uh, bending. Uh, in the microscopes, and these are hexagonal, and uh, cholesterol is something very, very complex. Um, so that doesn't really go together. But that's obviously only my opinion and a work thesis that we have both. And uh, if it is graphene, I would think it's probable. The question is, is it in all the substances or in only a few? Well, that's the question of pharmacovigilance, and where is that in turn? Werner, if 
you state this, it would mean that that coincides with Wolfgang says, they do what they want to do, nobody is monitoring them, nobody's going to hold them responsible. That's what they think. Well, and if you say that, at the same time, it would mean that it's not very likely that this is just uh, production-based impurities, is it? Well, graphene surely doesn't drop in there by accident. It's much too rare for that. And as I said, I have three studies that all convinced me, saying this object that was uh, seen with electro on the, the electron microscope has the fingerprint of graphene. And um, visually, it looks like this, but um, the visual appearance is not enough, of course. So. The Erin Erin is surely right that a certain part um, of uh, this is cholesterol crystals, and he explained it that these nanolipids uh, decay into their components, and one of these components is cholesterol, which. Uh, at least I think I got it that far, and that's what these crystals source from. So it would be right to uh, have that in one of the injectables, uh, I'd rather call them than that than vaccines, and that we find them if that's been around long enough. Could there any? Could there be any understandable reason if there were graphene in it why it is in there at all? What effect could it take? Yes, there is. I have uh, read a couple of scientific studies f following up on that question. Uh, cancer immune therapy is where it says instead of aluminium, they put graphene inside. It's uh, five times as effective in that kind of cancer treatment. It is uh, five times as strong against the immune system. Yes. But that would be a substance that would need to be indicated if it triggers such a re aggressive reaction, wouldn't it? Yes, you're right. Um, that's quite a swamp, really. Um, in the discussion, I asked also if somebody knows if the FDA or EMA, um, if they are registered in the uh, differences, nobody knew. And that would be an interesting question that we could ask EMA. Uh, it is possible that in a proceedings when the injections are applied and millions of people that the companies have opportunity to vary the composer, composure. Apparently they're allowed to do that, but I don't know what conditions. Uh, whether they can just, whether they have to register it or whether they can just play freely around. That is what we should ask the EMA. Anyway. Werner, you helped us to a great extent to cover the gap which um, opened by us losing the two members of the parliament of the island state of Vanuatu. I think that's northeast of Australia. We were going to talk to Andrew Napuat and John Salong, but something went wrong, unfortunately. Thank you for your help and Wolfgang as well. Um, now we are ready to welcome uh, our next guest talking about the consequences of the disaster in Israel. Uh, Werner, if you have time, feel free to stick with us, Wolfgang as well. 
Well, I have... Well, I'm a bit uh, under pressure, but I can take a look at the uh, recording afterwards. Thank you, Werner. Thank you. Anyway? Okay, dann machen wir jetzt auf Englisch weiter. You, Dr. Joshua Getzko. How do you... Is that... Am I pronouncing your last name correctly? Amazingly, yes. Uh, <laughs> it was... Obviously, if, if you were pronouncing it in the original German, it'd be Gutzkopf, but uh, it, was, it was Americanized yeah. in the meantime. Okay, so you are a senior lecturer in the Department of Sociology and Anthropology at the Institute of Criminology at the Hebrew University, and you will talk about the adverse events after the booster. Um, uh, please, if I, I'm, I probably have uh, forgotten uh, to mention some of the credentials that you have. So please go ahead and introduce yourself and, and let us know what, hap what is happening in Israel after the boosters. Okay. All right. Thank you, Reiner. And pleasure to be here. Uh, as you said, my name is Josh Getzko. I'm currently a senior lecturer, which is equivalent in the American system to like an associate professor. Um, I'm at the Hebrew University, and I'm in the sociology and anthropology department and at the Institute of Criminology. Um, I have a PhD uh, in sociology from Princeton University. Um, you know, a lot of people say, well, what is this guy? He's a criminologist, he's a sociologist, what does he know about any of this? But, but you know, my graduate training included lots of classes and 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 hands-on work with um, all kinds of research methods and, and statistics and things like that. And then I went on to do a postdoc in public, uh, sorry, a postdoc in health policy at Harvard University. So I do have some, you know, I, I like to think that I, I have some idea what I'm talking about. And then of course, the other thing is that I, I, I'm, I'm in communication with lots of other people, um, doctors and scientists and stuff like that. So um, as we will probably as we will probably soon hear, criminology of course has a lot to do with what yeah, we're looking at. Yeah, criminology definitely has a lot to to do with what's going on these days. Um, let me um, so so I'm here mainly to talk about um, adverse events after the booster and why would uh, why would I, we I be in a particularly unique position to be able to do that. Um, it's because the Ministry of Health in Israel did an actual survey of people asking about their adverse events after they received the booster, the first booster, okay, the third shot. Now, in Israel at that time, you really could only get a Pfizer shot. So there were two shots for the main, um, you know, the first vaccination drive, and then they, they started um, with the booster shots in July, actually, and the, the major campaign for the first booster was in August of 2021. And in uh, mid-September, they did a survey. They started doing a survey asking people who were three to four weeks after their, they'd received the booster dose, they were asking them about adverse events that had occurred to them since the booster. Now, of course, we know that um, most of the kind of, well, I don't, I don't want to say most, but much of the safety data and safety assessment um, is passive, right? It, we, we, when we talk about VARES, when you talk about UDRA vigilance, you talk about yellow card, 
all of that is based on voluntary reporting, right? Um, and we know that there's a problem with underreporting. So then what happens when you actually go and you actively ask people about things that happened to them after the booster? Okay, so just to set this up a little bit, I'm going to go ahead and share my screen if that's all right with you. Let's sure. To figure out how to do that. Um, so on uh, September 30th, um, where are we? Here we go. So on September 30th, the, uh, let's see, I think this is it. All right. On September 30th, the Ministry of Health posted on its Facebook page, a notice about the safety of the booster doses. And they said, this is a automated translation here. And they said, we are, you know, all of this fake news and all this stuff you're hearing on uh, social networks, it's, it's, it's all BS. We are carefully looking at adverse events after the vaccination, we're following it. And we can tell you it's totally safe. Okay, so they post this in the evening on September 30th, and within minutes, people started flooding this post with their stories of adverse events after the first, second, third shot. Um, they had thousands of them, and, and somebody apparently panicked because within a couple of hours of this post going up, they started going through and just erasing people's um testimonies about the adverse events that they experienced the, and this was all caught live people were were videotaping this as you could see comments just disappearing right um there, currently i think this post has about twenty-seven thousand comments not all not all of them are you know testimonies of adverse events by any means um but it's 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 a huge deal okay so they're they're trying to sweep something under the rug so um, now on September 17th, um, the FDA met to, to, to uh, weigh whether or not to approve the booster dose for Americans citizens, okay? And they had representatives from the Israeli Ministry of Health present to them the data on safety and efficacy that had been gathered in Israel since you know, July, okay? And at that meeting, the representative said that there were 19, there had been only out of like something like 3 million booster doses given, there were like 19 serious adverse events. That was it. Again, this is based on the Ministry of Health's um, totally deficient and uh, adverse events tracking system. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that a little bit later. Um, but again, it's a passive system. I mean, it's worse than passive because um, people, doctors are discouraged from, um, uh, from submitting uh, reports to the system. And the people at the Ministry of Health can decide whether or not to accept a report based on whether or not they think the um, report might be uh, related to the vaccine. Okay. So, so on September 17th, the Ministry of Health representatives meet with the FDA. They said, we've only got 19 serious adverse events. Two days later, they started this survey, okay? This is, now what uh, this, the results of this survey were released on the Ministry of Health Telegram channel in, uh, I believe it was late January, 
um, very quietly. They didn't put it up on their website or anything like that. And um, <clears throat> it, it, the, the survey went for a few weeks. It ran from September 19th to October 25th, and they had about 2,000 respondents overall. Now, of those 2,000 respondents, 2,049, 66% of them reported at least one adverse event and of those 29%, I'm sorry, of all the people they interviewed, 29% had difficulty performing daily activities as a result of the adverse events that they experienced. That's 50% of all of those who had adverse events. Now, if you look at the rates, you can take the number of different types of adverse events that reported, and you can calculate a rate of how many, if you had, had interviewed a, mil a million people, how many um, adverse events would you have expected to see reported, right? Or per million doses of the booster, how many different types? So I've only selected some of the more serious ones, but there are lots of others in this survey. Um, so you have, you know, a rate of over 5,000 per million cases of Bell's palsy. If we, again, if we extrapolate from this survey, and, you know, there are methodological problems with doing that. It's not foolproof because the survey was very small. So there is some margin of error, but it gives us kind of a ballpark, right? We have, um, you know, almost 3,000 per million hospitalizations. We've got almost 2,000 people experiencing seizures or convulsions within three to four weeks after the booster. Um, loss of consciousness, which might be syncope. It's not entirely clear. One of the problems with the survey is that we only have the report that was released from the Ministry of Health. We don't have the data. We don't have the actual questions that they asked, um, although we're, we're trying to get that through freedom of information uh, release. Okay, and, and then at the bottom of this, you'll see shingles, right? There's lots of shingles outbreaks, and this is something that's become fairly well known at this point and is almost being accepted by the mainstream as an actual side effect of these shots. Now, if you were to take these numbers, apply them to the United States, okay, and you say, okay, um, there was, when I did this, there was something like 93 million people that had received the booster shot. So if we take these rates and we apply them to the U.S., we can calculate how many different events we would expect to have happened. Now, there are problems with that extrapolation. The, the survey population and the Israeli population don't exactly have the same demographic makeup as the US population. So there's, but, but just to kind of get a general ballpark view of this, we can see we're looking at almost half a million cases of Bell's palsy, uh, almost 300 or something like 280,000 hospitalizations. Um, you know, over 100,000 people experiencing seizures, loss of consciousness, shingles outbreaks, right? So these are huge numbers when you take into account actually how many doses um, have been administered in the United States, okay? And, and there's lots more interesting stuff in this survey, right? Um, if you, they ask people about pre-existing conditions that they had, okay? And of those, they, and then they ask, did your pre-existing condition get worse um, following the booster, okay? And for many of them, it did. So for example, people who reported having pre-existing anxiety or depression 
or an autoimmune disease, about a quarter of them said it got worse after the booster. And this, you remember that vaccinations are supposed to help people with autoimmune disease, right? These are the people who are at risk. People with diabetes are supposed to be helped. And yet uh, almost 10% of people with diabetes reported that it got worse, okay? And then you have lung disease, hypertension, heart disease. So some, for some percentage of these people, their condition is getting worse after the boost. And you might ask, well, how do we know that that's, um, that that's related to the vaccine. And I have some evidence uh, to, to support that. But first, I want to talk about this issue of under-reporting, okay? If we go back to the beginning where I was talking about um, the Ministry of Health assuring the Israeli people and assuring the FDA that these uh, boosters were extremely safe and that they were very carefully monitoring the safety following the booster dose, Okay, if we take their careful monitoring right from their system and the numbers that they reported and compare them to the numbers that are reported in this survey, we can calculate roughly some kind of underreporting factor, right? So we know how many of uh, certain types of events are reported to the Ministry of Health, and we can then see what's the percentage in this survey and say, okay. I would have to multiply the reports they're getting by a certain number in order to get a picture of the true number of adverse events, right? This is the under-reporting factor. And what we can see for many in different types of um, serious events, um, the under-reporting factor is ridiculously large, right? So people experience difficulty breathing. That's reported, you know, 50,000 times less than the actually um, uh, occurred according to this survey, right? Um, and again, this is following the third dose. We don't have any information like this on the first dose or the second dose is just the third dose, the first booster, right? So you have these very, these huge underreporting factors showing that, no, the Israeli Ministry of Health was not looking at this carefully, right? Because if they were looking at it carefully and thoroughly, they wouldn't have these enormous uh, underreporting factors. We can go a step further, and we can say, well, well, let's compare to what we were what we're seeing in VAERS, the U.S. Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System. Now, again, there's a, there's several steps of extrapolation here because of the differences in populations, and of course, there's a, a margin of error. So this is very ballpark, okay? But we can look at some types of events and, and calculate a under-reporting factor for VAERS based on the Israeli survey. And we see very large under-reporting factors, right? Now, um, the FDA um, in their hearing on the, the VRBPAC committee, the external expert committee to the FDA, they met in late October to consider, I'm sorry, early November to consider the um, extending the EUA of Pfizer's EUA to children five to 11. And in their discussions and calculations, one thing that came out was that the FDA told CDC basically that the numbers on myocarditis that they were seeing in VAERS 
were six times underreported. Okay, so the FDA has come out and admitted based on their data that they have from electronic medical records that they're using, um, they say that the VAERS uh, reports for myocarditis are underreported six times. That's like an official kind of statement. But of course, we could calculate uh, underreporting factors for many other things that people have, right? Um, you hear uh, it's underreported 100 times, it's underreported 40 times. Well, we can look at this survey and calculate our own underreporting factors for a few different types of events. That is much larger than six, it's much larger than 40, and it's much larger than 100. Okay. Oh you mean, Josh, am I reading this correctly? Bell's policy is unreported 2,825 times? Right. Um, as as a, something that resulted from the booster survey. Sorry booster dose, okay, not, I can't say in general, and, and again, you know, we have to take this with a few grains of salt because of the, the extrapolation from Israel to the U.S. and stuff like that, but, but yeah, that, that's what we're looking at. Okay. And is, um, it, is it correct that the, uh, that the U.S., the FDA, based its decision on whether or not they could go ahead with the booster shots on what they were told by Israel. Israel was a major uh, part of that decision, I believe, yes, uh, because they were presented with this safety information and mm -hmm. the assurance of the senior members of the, you know, Ministry of Health, the representatives that there were no, you know, there were only these 19 serious adverse events. We don't think most of them were even connected to the vaccine, even though, you know, they show, <laughs> in their list of things, they have a woman in her 60s who immediately, af immediately after having the shot um, experienced a stroke. Um, and yet they say that it's unrelated. <laughs> so I don't know how, oh my know how they came to that conclusion. I guess it was just a, but, just you a know, crazy coincidence. There's, there's another question that I think is, uh, it, 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 everyone has to ask this question. If you look at what's, what went on in the US, the FDA was at least purporting to think about whether or not to go ahead with the booster shots. But was there, who, what is the decision, what is Israel's decision to go ahead with the, yeah, really? What is it based on? No, exactly. On? Israel is, 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 the, is, the Ministry of Health and Pfizer used the Israeli people as guinea pigs, absolutely, 100%. Yeah. They had no, where were they getting this information about the safety, the efficacy of the booster dose? They were just kind of rolling the dice. I mean, they, they slowly rolled it out kind of um, on the down low for certain people in starting early in July. Maybe they saw that things were going okay and they decided to expand it. I, I don't really know, but it was, you know, it, I'll tell you another thing, okay? At that FDA meeting, the FDA said, we don't think there's enough information and based on what Israel reported, there's not enough information on young people, both for efficacy or for safety. And that's why they only, when they first approved it, they only approved it, I think it was for 60 or 65 and older. I don't remember now exactly what it was. And they said, we're, we're gonna wait for more information on the safety among young people. And where were they, where were they waiting for that information from? From Israel. 
they were because Israel had started to lower the age of the boosters, but there wasn't enough time to gather data on. At the same time, Israel changed their green pass um, requirements so that you couldn't have a green pass unless you um, had the, the booster, right? And they pushed it really, really hard on army recruits, right? On the on the soldiers, the, these teenage kids, basically. I mean, they were even though they have the right not to take the shot, they were, many soldiers were just treated horribly and they had such an enormous amount of pressure put on them, right? And what for what? So we could offer up our data to the US. So then you know, they met another month later or something like that. Israel came back with more data on young people and they said, okay, sure. Now we're convinced, let's go ahead. Um, so, you know, Israel was absolutely treating its people as, uh, as guinea pigs. Um, a little few more, some more information from this survey, unless you have other questions you want to ask. So, um, the vast majority of people said that either the condition got worse after, uh, sorry, they were comparing, they were asked if they had had the same adverse event after the first doses and whether it was worse or better than the previous times. So the vast majority said that either it got worse or sorry, that it was worse this time after the, um, the booster or they didn't have that uh, experience, that adverse event in the previous doses, okay? Um, a, a, a sizable minority, um, a sizable percentage sought medical care for the adverse events, okay? And now here's the next row down um, is about uh, uh, how long the uh, adverse event um, lasted for. So you can see there, are, I'm only showing you a select pieces of this data, but you see that for um, many of the events, take neurological, for example, 47% um, were ongoing at the time of the survey, which was three to four weeks after the dose. So we're told that these event, these, you know, adverse events happen, they're rare, and they go away very quickly, okay? The, but we can see that uh, many of a large, large minority of the events uh, persist. Okay, and then finally we get to time to onset, and what we see here is that the large majority of, of some types of events, like neurological events, for example, happen within zero to seven days following the receipt of the booster dose. Now, if you want to say that all of this is just, I know you don't want to say that, but somebody wants to say that all of these things, these reports are just coincidence, you know, people get sick, things happen to them, and it happened to them, it happened to happen to them after they got the booster dose, but there's no real relationship. If that was true, we would expect the, um, we would, would expect that the events would happen equally over the time period following the booster dose. So if you're, uh, so you should have, you know, if you were asked three weeks after the booster dose, a third of the people should be saying it happened in the first week, a third the second week, a third the third week. Right? It should be spread out evenly across the time period, but it's not. It's it, it's uh, these events are the majority are are being reported as having happened within one week of the vaccine. That's a very very strong indication 
that the majority of these events are causally related to the vaccine. Okay, and that now, means that those who that means that those who, um, according to those standards, to their standards, but also according to the U.S. and the German and probably the world standards, they counted as unvaccinated, right? Yes. Uh, yeah. Well, that's true. Um, yes, that's true. And that was one of the problems, one of a few problems with their the studies that were published uh, by. Israeli researchers from the Ministry of Health and the um, health maintenance organizations here using patient data. That was one of the things that they did. They didn't really start looking at things until, um, well, it, it, you know, it depended on the, the actual study and the research and stuff, but let's, you know, a week to 10 days after the vaccination. Yeah. You're, no, you're absolutely right. Um, one of the other things that they did in this is they asked women who were, they only asked women who were 54 years and younger uh, if they'd had any changes to their menstrual cycle. Okay, now we know already from the release of various documents from Pfizer, um, going back to the spring actually of 2021, that according to their own research, when you inject Nano, lipid nanoparticles into rats, uh, into the muscles of rats, the liquid nanoparticles spread throughout the body and they concentrate in certain organs, including the ovaries, okay? And they've known this at least since 2013, there was a paper published in the Journal of Nuclear Medicine where they were tracking the destination of different uh, of liquid nanoparticles similar to what they're using in these vaccines and they see they found that they, it concentrates in um, steroid producing organs including the ovaries right you can see that in this picture the um, glowing collection of liquid nanoparticles so it turns out that um 10% of the women who were under age 54 reported changes to their menstrual cycles. And what was unique about this survey is that they then, of, of those women who reported a change, they called them up seven to 10, 12 weeks later, and they asked, is it still going on? And half of them said that, yes, it was. So this is, again, not one of these things that's just short-lived, right? This is something that can persist. Um, and you know, we see uh, you know, percentages of those who sought medical treatment, received medical treatment. Um, and surprisingly, one third of the women uh, reported that they had menstrual cycle issues prior to getting the booster, meaning that they had had it, they had started with, a, with some kind of menstrual side effects after the previous doses. And then when it came time to get the booster, they lined up and did it anyway, even though uh, they, they had experienced these problems. And you know, what are these problems? So they have all of this information, what kinds of problems women experience or what kinds of changes. Now, um, when you take the fact that women, a good percentage of women are experiencing these types of changes and you put it together with this knowledge that the liquid nanoparticles are collecting in the ovaries. And we know that the mRNA is inside of those liquid nanoparticles, and it's likely transfecting to the 
oocytes, the, 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 the cells of the ovaries, right? And um, provoking an immune reaction, the body's immune, immune reaction to attack the ovaries, okay? And the ovary cells, ovarian cells don't, you, know, you get what you get, you, they, you know, they don't reproduce, right? So there's very, you know, there's a strong concern that this is going to affect reproductive health, just on the, just prima facie. And we have some information that you might be interested in. It's not from this survey, it's from a Freedom of Information Act request that was filed uh, with an Israeli hospital, okay? Would you like me to discuss those, those findings from that? Yes, please. Okay, so this is from Rambam Hospital in Haifa. And we, we were able to get data on The person who did the FOA, FOIA request was able to get data on the uh, birth outcomes of vaccinated and unvaccinated women. And we're comparing, um, so what we have is we have data on, a, a, it's, it's a single category that includes stillbirths, miscarriages, and abortions, okay? So it includes what you might medically call spontaneous abortions and medically induced abortions, as well as stillbirths. Unfortunately, we're not able to get any finer grain than that. But what we see here, okay, if we compare the unvaccinated women in white to the vaccinated women in red, so the booster can't, the vaccination, this is from 2021, the vaccination campaign in Israel started in December, but it didn't, um, it wasn't recommended for pregnant women until February. And they're basically, in this hospital, there weren't any vaccinated women who gave birth in February. But then if you look sort of a few months later, what, you're, what you see are these spikes in the percentage of vaccinated women who are um, having stillbirths, miscarriages, or abortions. We don't know, again, what, what they are. Now, this is a huge, right? It's like 45% of vaccinated women in May who are experiencing this. However, it's worth pointing out that um, this is the number of women at this point who had actually been vaccinated and given birth, were giving birth or having some kind of birth outcome at this hospital was very small. So that the N of this May number, you know, it's shockingly high, the percentage, but the, the total N is, is fairly small. And it makes us wonder if perhaps the women who were vaccinated at this time were very self-selected. Maybe they were in poor health. We, maybe there were some other issues going on. We don't know, okay? We, we're trying to get better data on this. I wanna tell you something. Um, I have a slide on it later, but I'll just tell you now. Um, the Israeli Ministry of Health has come out repeatedly and said and tried to calm the concerns of the public saying, it is safe to get vaccinated when you're pregnant. In fact, it's recommended, right? Because you protect yourself from COVID-19 infection, presumably, okay? Through Freedom of Information Act requests, we have been able to determine that they don't collect data on the vaccination status of pregnant women. The Ministry of Health is making these recommendations, made its recommendation in February, and continues to assure the Israeli public that vaccination is safe and recommended for pregnant women. Yet, when asked, they tell us they don't have any information on birth outcomes for pregnant women by vaccination status. So my question to them is, how do you know? 
<laughs> how do you know? Um, <clears throat> and we can look at some other, we can look at this data from this hospital in a couple of different ways. So for example, we can just look at, okay, if we go back to late 2018 and we see what is the total rate of stillbirths, miscarriages, and abortions throughout this period. We're not comparing vaccinated and unvaccinated. We're just looking at the total rate and we see this spike during this period, right? And what, what could be what could be causing it? We could compare in this hospital the rate of stillbirth, miscarriages, and abortions in 2019 versus 2021, and we see this gap, right? We see that we see something going on here. Um, and you know, we can't, it's it's hard to say exactly what because we don't have individualized data, we don't have detailed information on what the exact birth outcomes were. But I will say a, a couple of things. One is that based on other research that's been done in Israel on um, uh, the comparing kind of the health of babies to um, vaccinated and unvaccinated, not, not, not <laughs> these are babies that were carried to term, okay? Um, what we see is that the age differences between vaccinated and unvaccinated women are very small. The average age difference is about a year. Uh, vaccinated women are about a year older. So it's probably not an age issue. And it seems as if unvaccinated women uh, actually are in some ways less healthy um, than vaccinated women. I'm sorry. Yes. Uh, they uh, are more likely to be obese, more likely to be smokers. These are the unvaccinated women. So on that, on that basis, we should expect to see worse outcomes among the unvaccinated women and not the vaccinated women. One final note on this is that the, uh, these results found their way to the head of the maternity unit at Rambam Hospital, who actually called me and said, um, uh, and he was upset at first, and then we talked, we talked, and eventually uh, he agreed with me that the data was so concerning, right? Even if it wasn't really an issue of vaccination status, there was something, he, he felt it was concerning enough that it was something it was worth looking into more. And he assured me that he would. I have yet to hear anything. I, I don't know that he would or did, but, um, uh, but, but I think that that's a significant uh, event, it's a significant, um, I don't know, a significant win, I guess. Let's Do you have any information about yes, the overall yeah. birth rates in Israel? Because we have some areas in Germany where it seems, I mean, it's, it's a little strange because it seems to be like clusters of areas where they, where people have, uh, do you know, where the birth rate seems to be lower, at least like looking at certain um, hospitals where they can say it's now like whatever, 30% less. And also where they tell us that the, you know, uh, couples looking to um, conceive are having major problems. I mean, vaccinated couples. And but then in other areas, it seems to be everything seems to be normal. I mean, maybe that depends on like how toxic the, uh, you know, the um, the batch was or like for some other reasons could be also other factors. But is there any information available at this point about like the total uh, birth rate in Israel? Has there been any any drop or? Uh, I haven't looked at that. I don't know what's available. I don't know if that's available or not. Mm -hmm. 
I, I think it's going to take us a little time to shake out the effects of these uh, shots on fertility. Uh, we might be seeing, we might start to see it already, I expect a little bit, but if there is going to be a long-term, I mean, I expect we're going to need to wait a little bit longer to be able to tease out the effect. I mean, the timing um, would also sorry. be in interesting because like we had the information from a um, gynecologist that, you know, these, these um, stillbirths, um, some of them seem to be appearing more like during a time frame of the, um, you know, the pregnancy where you wouldn't expect it because they tell us that usually, I mean, or like it's more standard, it's li more likely that until week 14 or then after week 25, people, uh, you know, the, the, um, the fetus is maybe like, uh, you know, it has experiences problems and this then maybe, you know, uh, uh, what you call this like there's an abortion happening or like a stillbirth or something right. like that but in between this time frame um between 14th and and 25th week there's usually not so much going on like statistically but now it seemed to be happening more around week 18th 20th. interesting i hadn't heard that i had i had seen the data from iceland showing in, an increase in stillbirths and other perinatal uh, uh, mortality um, in 2021 compared to previous years. Um, so that's that's you know that's another sign for concern. There's a significant, a pretty significant, a sizable increase. I think 75% increase in stillbirths, but the but there's really a small number of babies born every year in Iceland. So the, the total difference was like for previous years was like eight babies or something like that. You know, it wasn't significant. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, I didn't do the statistical calculation on it, but um, you know, if you compared it to the previous, I don't know, I don't remember what it was. And I think they went back to 2012. You don't see any other year with this many um, stillbirths. Maybe if you go, I think they said if you go back a little bit further, there's another year with that many stillbirths. But you know, it's one data point among many, and we will, you know, over time collect more and more data points. It's um, if it if it has an effect on fertility, it's not going to be something that can be hidden. That's for sure. I have one question. Do you do you know uh, what whether the charge number, the batch number? is registered in Israel so that you can find uh, connections between the, the rate of adverse effects and, and the batch numbers like they did in the first data. Yeah, so um, the, uh, the batch number, so the way that the, um, if you're talking about the Israeli version of VAERS, like the Israeli reporting system, um, they don't give you access to the actual reports. What they, what they, what you get access to are the summarizing oh, yeah. statistics that they make on all the different reports. So you have no way of accessing that. Of course, so everybody who is vaccinated yeah. does have a batch number recorded for that vaccination. So this, those people, uh, when they are when they're registered as adverse effects, the administration knows the the number. The administration could connect the, well, I'll tell you something. Um, if at the very beginning, um, and for quite quite a few months, I don't remember exactly when they changed it, the, the VARES system in Israel didn't record any personal information. 
So you could report your adverse event, but the Ministry of Health had no way of following up on it and contacting you to, you know, to find out more about it. Mm-hmm. So, so they couldn't even do that, right? Um, really absurd. Of course, they can. They have um, electronic medical records that can be tracked, and they've done quite a bit of research, of course, um, using those types of electronic medical records. And, you know, we could go into all of the different ways that those studies are manipulated and all the, all the problems with them. But. So in case if you would, have, would, would go for some, um, you know, that you get uh, some, some money for be, be being damaged um, because of the, of the, of the, of the jab, uh, you would go. You could go to court, and would the court be able to get those data then uh, from the administration to know which which patches were used? You you, you know are, that, you are given that information when you get vaccinated. It's written on your vaccine card or whatever. So you that information you don't need to go to court to get that information. You oh yeah, you have it yourself. Yes. You okay. It yourself. Yes. Yeah. And is there any data? But, and, and I have to say the whole, you know, how bad is my batch thing was very big in Israel. People were looking at it and trying to figure out. I'm, I'm, I'm not convinced. I think there are a lot of other methodolo- I think there are a lot of methodological problems with that analysis. Um, I think there's likely to be other explanations that's not related to batch toxicity, but... We, we just discussed why there is such a big difference in, in toxicity and, and the, the registration of adverse effects. And uh, we we had those two possibilities that this, the production is not very uh, standard standardized, that it's very big variety in quality, one thing. And the other thing is that this, they were trying out different things with us. And um, those two possibilities have to be, this, we have to find out what is the reason or whether it's a mixture of both. Right. Well, there are other possible explanations. So there's, you have to control for batch size. And if you actually go on the how bad is my batch website. This, this was done. I think Mike Eden, he, he analyzed it uh, some, some months ago, and he was aware of this uh, right. problem with the batch size. So my reading of that analysis that I saw on the how bad is my batch website was that that, that actually explained most of the variation. And then, you know, there, there were maybe a couple of batches that were really outliers, but then there, you know, there can be other things. So for example, if m- most of a batch is given to an older population, right? Um, you know, that can explain it. There are also, uh, Mark Girado has talked about the differences in practice of aspiration prior to delivery of the vaccine, that if you're not aspirating, you're more likely to hit a vein or an artery and That's deliver um, more spike protein and, there is and this stuff directly to the blood, you know. There's this type of thesis that if the, if the, the, the jab does what it is expected to do, that, it is, that you produce antibodies afterwards, you could find those antibodies in the blood. And if it, if, the, if, there, if there's a strong effect that the, that the jab does what it was given for, then you have more side effects as if you don't have antibodies. This should, could be easy to, find, to be found out. I don't know whether such a systematic uh, research exists, but this would be a, a useful thing, I think. It yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree. Um, 
I absolutely agree. I mean, it could be that many it could be that many of the side effects are actually caused by the immune reaction, the body's immune reaction. Maybe when you get a stronger reaction, you get worse side effects. Um, there's so much about this that we don't know, you know, and it's a shame though, because we don't really have the resources to do the types of investigations that's necessary. And the people that do have the resources assure us that everything about these jabs is known and there's no reason to be any for any concern about their safety. Israel, I, I believe that you know the fourth shot, like the second booster. And what's what's the outcome of this? Has there been like even more damage? What's what's what is it that you experience or see? Um, it's hard to say. They they didn't do any type of survey um, after that. Now <laughs> they, you know, I, I find it absurd that they they had the results from this survey that I talked with you about in hand when they went ahead and recommended the fourth jab. Um, and it's hard for me to fathom that they would see results like this that show such a bad safety profile for these vaccines and still go forward with, you know, recommending a fourth dose. I mean, I would say the same thing about the third dose, but here, at least we know they have this, these survey data in hand, right? Um, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what the, you know, how, I do know one thing about it is that um, as more and more jabs are recommended, fewer and fewer people are, are coming back for more, right? So in the fourth jab was initially recommended for people 60 and over in Israel. And since they released that, only about half of that population has had the fourth dose. So, and you know, when the, we, they introduced the, the children, the dose for children, the, the first two doses for children, and only about 20% of Israeli kids have been vaccinated. And, the, and there's a you know large, even fewer percentage of Arab um, parents and ultra-Orthodox religious parents are taking their kids in to get vaccinated. So in the country that was vaccine crazy, I mean, it was just nuts here. I mean, it was nuts everywhere, but um, the enthusiasm and the kind of national pride that was wrapped into winning the preferential treatment by Pfizer has really, uh, much of it has evaporated. Um, the, the public, for whatever reason, is start is really losing faith in these vaccines. Either they don't think they're effective, or they don't think they're safe, or both. Right? And of course, with Omicron, many people got infected. They got sick, and they're like, "Oh, what what point was it? To, you know, I don't need to get another vaccine. I've already gotten sick." Right? Or they heard or experienced themselves, you know, bad side effects from the third dose, and they said, ah, "That's it. I'm not doing enough." And we heard but like that from doesn't that mean. Doesn't that mean, Josh, that despite the fact that even in Israel, or in particular in Israel, the mainstream media have a real stranglehold on what the people think or know or should know, it's come, it's, it can't be swept under the rug anymore? Or, I mean, there's, to me, there's no other explanation for a, a major or a, a, a quite a number of people. Tw you're saying only 25% of the people got the booster shots. We know only, that only 50% of the people who were who were eligible for it got it. Okay. 50% like okay. of, of people 60 and over went back for it. Okay. 
Well, he, here in the U.S., um, as I was just told by Leslie Manukian, uh, the uh, woman who is behind the uh, Florida federal court decision, the anti-mask mandate decision, she explained to me that 65% of Americans who got the first and second shot did not go for the booster shot. Now, I assume that it's um, the um, stranglehold that the mainstream media have over the population in Israel is probably worse than it, than it does here in, in Germany, but for some reason, or in, in the US, but for some reason, people are beginning to notice what's going on. Is it so bad, obviously, that's at least what I think, that this cannot be swept under the rug anymore? Yeah, I think so. I honestly, I think that's the main, the main thing. I mean, I would like to think that, you know, people in Israel who are protesting every week and, and sharing information and trying to get the word out that we're that we're the reason that that things are shifting. And I'd like to, you know, maybe we have we played a, a role, but but I really think that the main thing is just that <laughs> that, that these shots are just so bad it, that they, they can't be hidden. Right. Um, I mean, people can be fooled. People can, um, you know, not put two and two together and many people don't. But but at some point people will do. Yeah. And is it still the case that in Israel you can only go to work if you are vaccinated, if you have the passport? Is that still the case? Then this would mean that people are now deciding that they actually don't want to work anymore. I mean, they prefer this over getting a the the second booster. So the work requirement was um, was an employer decision. It was not, um, there was nothing in the law, the Green Pass law that, re that applied to employers and, or employees at, at different workplaces. There were some things that um, applied to um, state workers, right, state employees, but it was, it was a private decision of, among business owners um, to require vaccination from their employees, really seriously challenged in court It was believed there was a, a basically there was a legal opinion uh, by the Chamber of Commerce that said that they think that this re that requiring your employers to get vaccinated is within the scope or uh, of this new law. So it's consistent with the law and it'll be okay if you do it. I think there was one case of one worker that was challenged at a labor court. But basically, it went unchallenged, or or if it was challenged, the judges ignored it or dismissed it or allowed it. So, um, so it's not a hundred percent, right? It's not a law, but but it but it did affect vast numbers of workers. I don't know. I believe it was a majority of the workforce was required by their employer to either get vaccinated or to you know get a, a PCR test two or three times a week and. Um, and many, many, I don't know, tens, hundreds of thousands of people who wouldn't have been vaccinated otherwise um, got vaccinated to keep their jobs. No question about it. Is that the case anymore? You know, I don't know um, how much uh, employers are now being strict about that. My sense is that things kind of shook out where the people who really weren't going to get vaccinated just went to a different job. They found some other job where they didn't have to get vaccinated. So things kind of stayed that way. There is no, as far as I'm aware, no employers are requiring a fourth shot um, to, to stay employed, but many of them did require the third shot. Crazy. Okay.
Yeah, well, here, here's another thing that I just very recently found out um, with respect to, there, there, if I understand you correctly, Josh, there was no um, law that required the employers to make their employees get the shot, or, or was there? There was not. There for was private, not. For the private workforce, there was not. Okay, that's what I thought. Um, now, we have seen large corporations, global corporations like VW, um, McDonald's, and others pulling out of Russia. There was no, there was no legal obligation to do that. That has caused them and their shareholders serious losses in income, in revenue. I wonder how long it's going to take until finally people get up, shareholders get up and file shareholder derivative suits because they suffered such damages simply because the um, uh, the uh, CEOs of the corporations decided to be in line with the government without there being any duress whatsoever. Well, we'll see about that. But can you speak to um, how in Israel, now that all of this is at least there's an undercurrent of discussion going on. Uh, it is probably still not in the mainstream media, or is it? <laughs> uh, very, very uh, peripherally. Uh, it, there are, you know, occasionally there are, are interviews done on the nightly news with uh, one or another. There's an organization in Israel called Machatz or the PECC, and and they, they, there are a lot of people in that organization that have been out, very outspoken about their problems with the safety of the vaccines. Occasionally they get interviewed, occasionally there's an op-ed that's published, but mo the vast majority is no, 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 you know, it's it's 100%. Um, you know, I'd like to see, I'd like to think that there, there's cracks and things are shifting a little bit. Maybe, maybe that's true, but I don't see it in the mainstream news, I think, but I think there's a huge undercurrent of, of popular opinion that's totally uh, shifted. Okay, that's good to know. That's at least encouraging. Is there, um, is there um, a discussion in the mainstream media and then, of course, amongst the population of the Ukraine crisis? Oh yeah, I mean it's a big it's a big topic here. Of course, we have there's a large um, Russian-born population in Israel and a large mm -hmm. Ukrainian-born population. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I don't follow it very closely. Um, yeah, I don't I don't follow that very closely. The discussion around that. I think that you know for the most part, people believe that Putin is is doing, you know, it's causing problems and that kind of thing. But I, I don't, um, you know, I kind of lost, <laughs> I lost faith in, in, um, in mainstream media and most media for that matter. So I figure I'm, I'm saner by ignoring it than, than following it. I think actually it's interesting. Uh, Thomas Jefferson has this letter that he wrote to an aspiring newspaper publisher in the early 1800s where he basically said, you know, the headlines are true, but all the details are false. And you, 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 you know, you, you can be more well-informed by not reading the newspaper than by reading the newspaper, something like that. And that's kind of how I feel at this point. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, 
I, I think, you know, uh, Josh, I'm going to use some of the information you just gave us uh, in one of my next presentations in the U.S. Right. because it is very, I think it's really, really important that people understand that um, uh, the decision to allow the boosters to go forward has a lot to do with non-existent data from Israel. Incredible. Incredible. Yeah, right. Or false data from Israel, in a sense. Or right. false data, rather. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah, false assurances okay. about safety, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'll be happy to. I'll send your the. I'll send you guys my slides. You can you have, feel yeah, free. Yeah, please do that. I think um, if if you allow me to, I'm going to use some of these. Of course, absolutely. I will tell them who I got them from. Okay. All right, okay. Well, it's really no. such a giant Truman Show, but a nightmarish one. <laughs> It is. It really is. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it, uh, speaking of the Israeli media, there's a there's a very wealthy um, <clears throat> Russian born businessman. I can't remember his name, but through a company that he controls, he owns two of the major networks in Israel. And he also has, through another company, major shareholdings in BioNTech. Um, you know, he stands to gain hundreds of millions of dollars from their stock price increase. So there's this huge conflict of interest, which, of course, you know, you could pretty much trace something like that out for just about every major TV, you know, station or network, but one of the more egregious ones. So what's the name of the person? Wow. I cannot remember. It's Lev something, I think. I'll send you a, yeah. I'll send you that information. Yeah. It's interesting. Gee. Okay. Well, Josh, we 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 must stay in touch because yeah. this is an ongoing investigation. So all right. Um, yeah, I have suggestions for you guys of some other people you should talk to. So I'll send those along. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Well, thank you very much, uh, despite the fact that much of what you're saying is pretty bad news. But on the other hand, there is a, a sliver of hope um, on the horizon. Even in Israel, people are beginning to see something is not quite right, even if it's just an undercurrent. But they're beginning to yeah. see that there is something not in order right here. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. Okay. Great. Well, thank Thanks you very so much, much, Josh, and have a great weekend. Thank you both very much for having me, and um, have a good weekend. Yeah, thank you. All right. Good luck with your uh, investigation. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. Yeah, we're going to keep at it. <laughs> okay, Viviana. Wow, es wird echt immer, also wo man hinguckt, es ist ein Sumpf. It's um, a quagmire. Terrible. Now, the next guest is Professor Dr. Martin Schwab. We're well familiar with him. He is a um, legal expert and one of the top candidates of the uh, political party Die Basis for the uh, upcoming elections in the state of North Rhine-Westphalia in Germany. And um, Martin Schwab is experienced a lot of censorship right now. We uh, just published an article on 2020 News where we can read up on it. But he also has important information for us from a, a very interesting court case. Martin, we're happy to see you. You're, You're muted. still muted. 
You're muted. I think it was stum. He's not muted. We we can't hear you, Martin. Something's wrong with your audio. His mic well, the microphone is not uh, recognized. <laughs> Maybe Corvin can fix it. Otherwise, just uh, log off and log back on. That may be the easiest way. You can't see that you are muted, so some there must be some issue with your muting. Well, Corin is uh, just writing. He'll uh, get into contact with you, uh, Martin, and Rainer and I will discuss other things in the meantime. Of course. Um, we could explain uh, what Martin is going to tell us in detail. He's not a lawyer. He's a professor of law, uh, civil uh, law, at the University in Bielefeld, um, working in corporate law, procedural law, and uh, also in uh, legal uh, procedures. He has a, um, he's a teacher there. And interesting, the interesting part, apart from his being the top candidate for the uh, basis in North Rhine-Westphalia, where he's very, very strong, um, saying things about that we need a new system, that he's concentrating on the four pillars, health, education, justice, and economy. He is doing a lot. He's always very well received because he does not only know what he's talking about, that's obvious, he just needs to open his mouth, but he's authentic. Nobody can say that he is uh, following other agendas from what he's telling the people. And he is also one of the um, of the um, representatives of that um, uh, trial with, of two military uh, troops, uh, Werner has called them our heroes, who are against the vaccination mandate. Um, it's a group of uh, um, lawyers working with our colleague Winfried Schmidt, Dr. Rürich, and Artebana. And Martin is part of the group as well. And I know that he invests a lot of work into this court case um, until he had to go back uh, to the university. Um, um, he was in the hearing on the 2nd of May where I had. Uh, expect that this, pace, this case to be turned down. That didn't happen. They listened to um, experts in the matter, amongst others, Professor uh, Zuchirid Bakhti. And there is another hearing in uh, June, but he will have to tell us about that. The uh, most interesting point is that he's massively censored by the mainstream media, which is nothing new, but that is difficult to do with someone like Martin. He won't drop over. He's too sure and he knows too well what's going on. And if the public sees that someone like him as 
he's called uh, right right Nazi Nazi extremist. That's the only parole that they have. Uh, that will lead to more and more people waking up, um, becoming suspicious um, because of that uh, funny work the mainstream work media are doing. I think most of the people who are looking for information, even the vaccinators, are not looking at the mainstream media if they want to uh, research on their adverse effects of the vaccines, um, then they have been brought to get the shots by the mainstream media. So nobody will look into that anymore. They'd rather visible in the uh, election campaign and that's probably the reason why he is trying to be ignored or brought into some kind of interviews um, which don't uh, play his answers to the questions uh, only the questions um, with any stupid reporting so I assume that Marty is trying to log back on into the call and we'll just hope that things get better in a minute. The proceeding is of massive importance um, in the Federal Court of Constitution, uh, the Administration Court. Uh, I think Winfried Fitzpitz uh, said it could be the very first time that a German decision, normally nobody is interested in any German decisions, um, by far not in the US, but this could be the first time that a German decision has an international effect, especially supporting those US soldiers of which a large number does not want to get the shots. Let's see if he can come back now. He's just trying to log back on. <clears throat> Still not. And what if you could uh, dial up via the mobile phone? Yeah, maybe. Corin, maybe you can dial up uh, via the phone. There was this positive ruling in India now, where I think it was in the context of a, a children's decision that no um, vaccination mandates can be imposed. So that was interesting. Some things are crumbling here. Yes, in South Italy, in Sicily, um, where the um, public prosecutor's office deliber uh, explicitly uh, said these are um, experimental medication, and that's why uh, nobody can be uh, obliged to get a vaccination. And they also said that one um, uh, person who dies uh, on the basis of the vaccination is too much and so nobody can be obliged. Well, Martin should try to dial up by phone uh, because something seems to be wrong here. But so far, he always, in the past, he always spoke to us uh, from the university. Now he's at home. And so it's possible that the internet connection is different um, and not as good. But we'll manage somehow. We'll manage somehow. Well, pity that it didn't work with the two members of parliament from Vanuatu 
We had a um, preparatory discussion with them, and Corbyn uh, was um, in that uh, discussion as well. It was interesting. Those were people who understood the connections very well, the overall context, even though they didn't know about the details, and they uh, know perfectly well that WHO is uh, trying to uh, gain control via the crowbar of um, health um, control. Well, if Martin manages to dial up via the phone, then it's okay. Otherwise, uh, meanwhile, I don't know if we've got a video to show. <clears throat> Maybe we could uh, just do that. I'll look it up. There's a new film which has a few flaws, is a bit sensationalist, but I don't think we have that here. We had this Killis Moore film, which was quite nice, actually. I don't know if you've seen it. I like that one. No, if it's um, accessible. We could look at it. It's kind of 10 minutes. Maybe we could just uh, bridge the gap with that. Okay, let's try. Hello. We are from the Federal Ministry to keep up the narrative. And today we have an explicit warning for you. Stop questioning the narrative and don't visit rallies. I know you've never heard of us. Normally we work in the background, but we are the ones who decide what you see and what you hear and what you believe. Because if we tell you this is a green banana, you are going to believe it. Because you believe everything we say. You don't believe so? What does that look like? That plays no role because we tell you that these people are anti-democratic against, against the basic law and you believe it. Or what do you think about these people? Best you don't think anything because we tell you they are right, 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 all of them right. And it works. Even if it turns out that the absolute opposite is truth, we don't care. And you don't either. We make you believe that any criticism of our art, of our narrative, is just unscientific, even if it is scientists, however renowned they may be or were. Well, we are so good. If rallies because of pandemic are forbidden, this is anti-democratic, except from we do it. Then it is completely democratic for your health, because every meeting is the same, but not everyone is the same. How do we do that? Well, quite easy, by repetition, repetition, repetition. And as our narrative is spread everywhere, in talk shows, in many talk shows, in all talk shows, and of course, every everywhere else as well. And the other side doesn't even get onto YouTube, really. Could this smile lie? We make sure for your physical health to don't think about contradictions. This is why uh, formats like international uh, scientists who have a different opinion will never be on our mainstream for your health, because we decide what is reality. Other, everything else is conspiration. If we say there's no restriction, then everything else will be fake news until it's there. If we say there's no second lockdown, 
down, everything else is fake news until it's there. If we tell you that there's no vaccination mandate, everything else is fake news until, well, you know what I mean. You wonder how, why you don't notice? Quite easily, fear. Fear is best. That's why, since the beginning of the crisis, we creep you in shock. Even the youngest of you, you have little animals on your hands that will kill your grandma. And it works. You remember when we caused fear that the health system would be overloaded? But that, at the time, the beds were all empty. But when that came out, you were already scared about more and more lethal viruses. They weren't. But when that came out, you were already in shock because of the young younger and younger in intensive care patients, which was wrong, but so what? How do we care about your health, uh, your fear from yesterday? We're in the next round already. We're so good, you are so scared that you actually believe we have to prove your health because to get the basic rights. Yes, you believe that by our old narrative, we make you look at what we want to. Everything else is just, a, doesn't matter for you. Sweden doesn't exist. But the biggest claim is that with all toughness, we work against criticism, because if you criticize our narrative, they will trigger your health, they will risk your health. That's why we say thank you, because that allows us to delete videos or complete channels. We get means, and we even close bank accounts or completely remove them from Google, co-close their business room or take them out of their business for your health. Even if we hit our demonstrators with all toughness, you applaud us, even if the UN um, General Secretary talks about torture. Wow, we're so good. But don't worry, we are in the state of law. You can uh, sue us. Um, executive and uh, legal body are so different. Don't worry about any joint dinners. Just trust us. And if any judge misleads, uh, we will give him a visit at home, just like witnesses and expert. Any Anybody else with a criticism? You see, we really do everything and live. Keep your life free of contradiction. But that is getting more and more difficult because there's more and more people contradicting us. And believe me, censorship and keeping no opinions down is very, very difficult over the time. For example, alles dicht machen. We shot everything we had. And you don't think this way we want you to think? Do you think we don't notice as we tell you? The criticists are the last people. You can't put this book at the top of the list for weeks, and this book as well at the top of the list of the bestsellers. And now this on the album charts. What's wrong with you? But don't worry. As always, let's forget it all. Stay together. Be solidary, because there's so much that we want to do in the future. We'll all quickly get to new normality if you just do what we want. And if you do dare to to question our narrative or go to a rally, be sure what we make out of you. Well, excellent, excellent, excellent. That's the way to approach it. Martin, finally, we can hear you. Yeah. Oh, guess who's back? Also, alle, folgen mir. Ich brauche ein bisschen 
Kontroverse so leer ohne mich. Well, I, well known uh, rap song and I think this really is um, um, Facebook doesn't need controversy or um, uh, Facebook doesn't need it. Instagram doesn't need controversy. That's what I'm here uh, to discuss today, to talk about what we experienced in Leipzig uh, last Monday. I don't know um, in what sequence you would like to hear about events, but first of all, welcome back to um, at the community of the Corona Committee. Hello. Martin, great, great stuff. I think uh, people missed you. Just uh, give it a go talking about what really happened in the administrative court and uh, in the consequence when you just wanted to report about it. Well, it was a, a very a memorable um, uh, process. I had to leave early. It went from 10 a.m. to 9.30 p.m. and I had to leave just after 6 p.m because I had to catch a train, because I had to give a lecture the next morning, and I had already shifted it from Monday to Tuesday because nobody had expected it to, to take so long. And it will continue. There are two more uh, sessions until uh, running into June. The reactions were mixed. First, uh, the uh, date was the 1st of April. Then they said the reporter is ill. And then there were rumors that maybe there has been uh, influence uh, being brought to bear. And I uh, always uh, countered such speculation because I said, well, we don't know about it. And the uh, Federal Administrative Court actually tried to find a new uh, date uh, very quick. Um, that's the uh, 2nd May. Um, and they listened very uh, patiently to what we presented, what the armed forces presented, and the fact that they uh, will take another full days, um, um, I think, shows that there can be no doubt that they are interested in our presentation, in the uh, other side's presentation. It was obvious from the get-go that it would be um, cakewalk. Um, but it's not a cakewalk for us, but uh, not for the armed forces either either uh, because they have focused now on um, that they actually uh, got bogged down in contradictions in responding to our um, um, arguments um, and I'll, I'll just tell you but I have to call up what I uh, actually noted down here um, I have to tell you about those contradictions At the beginning, we argued about the legal basis, and we um, said in detail what do we, um, uh, what is our complaint all about, and then the uh, legal basis uh, in the uh, Soldiers Act was uh, debated, and. Uh, the uh, uh, presiding uh, judge asked me to uh, uh, start or, or um, interrupted me when I spoke about what uh, the uh, constitutional basis would be. And um, uh, the, the judge um, asked me to hold my horses because uh, we weren't at that point yet. I was a bit su uh, surprised. 
um, I was a bit over enthusiastic here, and I said that it is uh, a constitutional uh, interpretation of this uh, uh, act um, that um, a uh, vaccine should not be mandatory. And then the court was really interested in finding out how damaging is or dangerous is this vaccination actually. And I always speak about we because we're a team here. I don't know really who um, the any question was addressed to. We always work as a team. And we argued that usually um, the people most affected uh, by the disease itself are older people or um, um, people with prior conditions. And then um, a, a lieutenant colonel um, by the name of Kiel answered. I can uh, give names because they're um, in the public domain anyway. And I don't uh, uh, tell any uh, any secrets here. And he said, he argued that he uh, cares about every life, including those of uh, with prior conditions or older people. And then I asked him, uh, how important, how do you feel about the lives of soldiers who may die from the vaccination? And uh, we spoke about a figure that will be an important issue. And uh, the armed forces say that in um, the case of all the um, vaccines um, uh, jabbed, yet 360 only resulted in 47 uh, side effects. And I uh, kept hearing that this uh, figure is completely ridiculous. For the next um, session, we're looking for people from the armed forces, soldiers of the German armed forces, who got the vaccine and who feel that they may have suffered a vaccine damage. And I have a mail address here as well, DAB. I, I just uh, sent it to the uh, Corona Committee and I've been um, uh, informed by Wilfried Schmitz, who leads our uh, legal team, that we have a website under construction, which is called, where have I got it? Um, I have to, I wanted to put away the, uh, the phone because I have to look around in my um, mail client here. I'm sorry, um, I RTP uh, PS www.covid-soldaten.de. I'll send the um, web address to uh, the Corona Committee. This website is still being built, but we would really um, install vaccination surveillance for the armed forces because the armed forces don't do it themselves, as far as we know. So I'll just forward it to Corwin. I just wanted to point this out and so actually I we, um, they reported about a single case of death. Um, which was 
uh, cardiac disease. Um, Wolfgang may want to, to explain this. It is um, auricular fibrillation, auricular fibrillation. So um, that was not so vital and the question was um, can that happen again with vaccinated shoulders that doesn't seem to have been asked um, so if the life of the soldiers um, if they are vaccinated um, that doesn't seem to be so much worth um, with mr keel um, to put it in that sarcastic way but that is actually my experience and it was also said that, well, um, Oberst uh, Rats Dr. Stern uh, presented that uh, thrombosis are monitored as one of the adverse effects in my next uh, writing. I'm going to ask how that monitoring looks like by now. Everybody who is informed somehow knows that immediately before and seven days after the injection, the DDMERS should be measured. I would ask the uh, Bundeswehr whether they do that as a standard procedure. And if that question is negated or there's no answer, then the monitoring doesn't seem to be taken all that seriously either. And then uh, we also have to wonder if the results are somewhere recorded centrally and then the question came up uh, whether the Bundeswehr since start of the corona uh, crisis had 59,225 cases um, currently 6,590 cases are counted at the same time they say that the incidence since the start of the campaign has dropped by 50 percent so now 6,590 uh, at least 11% of all the cases, uh, that uh, gives rise to the question where that figure comes from. Also, we will have to um, question that. And also, the question was, as of today, 6,590 cases, how many of these are vaccinated? We have the vaccination rate of 94% in the Bundeswehr. Now we have to check how many of the corona cases now got the injection and how many didn't. And um, I've asked this question three times until the other side actually actually understood it. Um, uh, 94 percent from 6,900 is 6,129. One, uh, 6, Could you say it's if it's more or less um, out of all these cases that got the injection? Uh, because that would point out whether we have a positive or negative um, effectivity. No, there were no figures in that respect. But of course, that is something that we will have to uh, scrutinize again. I heard that Robert Koch Institute in the presentation of the COVID case it is not going to distinguish between vaccinated and non-vaccinated. So apparently the figures on the efficacy don't seem to be so convincing. Uh, so then they would rather keep the truth under the rug for nobody to know. We are going to find out. We are going to drill down into that. I can promise that to the community. 
oil. And um, it was later uh, on that uh, 84% of the um, uh, people who died uh, died of COVID. And I uh, will have to uh, question that um, because it doesn't match with what uh, a professor of the Medical University of Hanover said a few weeks ago. 90% of uh, people um, uh, who die only um, um, some of them are tested and the Helios clinics uh, also say that this is only a secondary finding um, for most of the people who die and that they are uh, they were uh, uh, taken to hospital for other reasons and so I'll ask how uh, do, you, do you come up with this figure we'd like to know more about this as well so in plain German that means well it continues the court asked uh, questions as well, of course, and um, they asked, what ca is characteristic of a severe case? Is it always a severe, uh, the answer was severe uh, pneumonia and uh, some other um, uh, symptoms can uh, follow up. And then the question was like, how uh, many severe cases of COVID do you have? Well, we don't know. And then we asked, uh, it doesn't matter who asked the question, I don't know uh, who did, but the question was asked, you only admit uh, 47 severe um, side effects now, you don't know about the severe COVID cases, how come you don't know about that? Well, the answer is, well, with the severe uh, cases of COVID, we are not obliged to report on them. Um, with uh, vaccines, um, there is a requirement to um, uh, report and uh, so they have to be um, to watch their backs uh, for legal reasons. That's not really convincing. If somebody uh, has pneumonia for weeks as a soldier, then I'd uh, be surprised if somebody doesn't ask um, why isn't uh, the person um, in the barracks or wherever he was uh, ordered to be that the armed forces don't care about this at all. I don't believe that. I just don't believe that. Pardon, Wolfgang? The environmental uh, investigation, which is usually done, um, should be done in the uh, Bundeswehr as well. The environmental uh, examination, what does that mean? If others are infected, if they infected others, if they contact, people have to go to quarantine and so on. Yes, right. Uh, even for that reason, the armed forces. Well, well, I I thought uh, that um, if they have to deal with every reported case, then they have to know uh, how severe uh, the case is. Good that you mentioned that, Wolfgang. I'll uh, include that in my next uh, round of session uh, questions. Now let me see what else happens. Well. We also asked, of course, several times over, how many um, um, saw a doctor uh, with a subjective feeling that um, uh, people might have COVID, because if uh, the media um, uh, report increasingly that um, um, people 
um, have severe cases and that you can um, find breathing harder. And then, of course, people might be fobbed off by being told, I know that's psychos uh, psychosomatic because you're imagining things. Uh, does that happen at the armed forces as well? That's what we asked. We didn't get an answer. Well, the uh, Red Cross officers are instructed on how to deal with this by people. The Bundeswehr always rules everything, even the loo paper and so on. So it's very important if there is a, so, an instruction uh, what to do if somebody comes and says, I have an adverse effect from the vaccinations. Well, Wolfgang, I'm already uh, taking down notes. That is really excellent. environmental examination, a service instruction of how to handle vaccination damage reports. Right. Well, to draw a conclusion now, the entire team um, representing the armed forces seem to be incredibly arrogant and at the same time they couldn't give an answer to crucial questions asked by us or the court and that of course provokes us providing more facts. Uh, as I said, we would like to um, request that uh, affected uh, soldiers come forward and then we can actually um, perform some examinations and if uh, they uh, are willing we could actually hear them as witnesses uh, in one of the sessions in court so we would like to ask people to make use of this offering to come forward because we cannot rely on the uh, information provided by the armed forces Martin, I have a legal question. There is um, a reportable or uh, adverse effects are reportable as the um, Pro Health Protection Act says, I think, paragraph six. Yeah, that's article six of the Infection uh, Protection Act. That's right. And that also says that um, a doctor who doesn't fulfill this with immediate effect, that's what 180, uh, 128 says, um, there could be a fine of up to 25,000 euros. And uh, that's uh, 73, Section 2, Second Alternative uh, Infection Protection Act. If I'm not completely mistaken, that applies for military doctors as well, doesn't it? Absolutely. Well, maybe we should explain that to him, to them. We will explain it to them once we have enough cases uh, collected. I believe that the questions will ask the next time uh, to the delegation of the Federal Ministry of uh, Defense will be much more unpleasant than what we asked the last time. We asked again and again about data and they said, well, we don't have it or they didn't want to give it. There, uh, we are representing two uh, soldiers and one uh, certainly died of uh, uh, the uh, of COVID, and we wanted to know um, 
did the people who died, uh, the two of them died, uh, did they, were they vaccinated or not? And they said, we won't give you that information. So how did the court react? Uh, what was the reaction? Do we have the impression of what they were, what side they were on? The court is on nobody's side and it's not allowed to be. Well, of course I know, but were they interested? They were interested, yes. And um, 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 the presiding judge asked me to uh, uh, say something that I uh, um, uh, didn't hear on good time. The uh, proceedings were interrupted for 50 minutes um, um, just before the end. Wilfried Schmitz uh, declared that the president of the court uh, declared that the court with the presiding judge, a, a professional judge, two uh, professional judges and two honorary judges, um, that they doubt whether the uh, vaccination mandate in the uh, armed forces are still legal. So that means uh, there's homework to do for the armed forces. Um, start delivering, it doesn't look good for you. That's the bottom line. But I would warn you uh, against that the whole thing has been, the case has been won again. Uh, the court must be neutral until the very end and uh, must always be open to both sides' arguments to the very end. Uh, to find uh, out the truth. It's important that a, a court be neutral and that they listen to both sides. We do have the feeling that that is the case. Great. And I don't think we should ask whether they are biased or not. These are questions that I wouldn't ask and I wouldn't allow. Uh, and let that take its course and we'll wait see for the outcome. Yes, yes, exactly. Because everything else would create the impression that somebody tr is trying to exert pressure on the court. And that's the last thing we need. Well, there were a case, this might have been, might be a case with German courts still working. Would be wonderful. Well, it's a highly complex case. It's a highly complex case. And we've had uh, inquiries again and again. We had inquiries again and again, um, either via the Corona Committee or personally to my uh, address directly, um, inquiries from uh, soldiers who were afraid of a vaccination mandate and didn't know what to do. And I kept telling them, um, insist that your personal um, health status be determined before they uh, oblige you to anything. All of that was uh, was um, pointless. I'm not a soldier, but I am a professor. But I must I must uh, may give advice uh, to uh, to people. I found that uh, for an individual lawyer, such a court case is uh, too much. It's way too complex. And that is why it's right that the court isn't making things easy, nor, neither for us nor for the other side. And they're not making it easy for themselves either. I think it's great. At least this is the impression of a professional approach. And that is something which is uh, great uh, compared to what we've seen in other trials. 
where they were clearly biased or the proceedings um, had not been properly followed. Of course, we never know what the outcome is. And from Holland, we've had uh, Jeroen's uh, case that there are cases that the uh, files were empty of the government, but still, despite all that uh, presentation of Jerome, um, they ruled against his argumentation. So you never know, but what I think is positive is a certain uh, objective approach to find out um, the parts of the process. Yes, so it was a memorable uh, hearings. Uh, the uh, judge had to remind the audience not to applaud. There were many um, people from the Bundeswehr there who um, were threatened to get the shot as well and uh, who are interested in that, media representatives. So that is going to be con a public proceedings, and there's going to be more public attention on the 7th and 8th of June. Martin, what happened after that? Well, after that, what I just uh, said is something which I put into a text, and I wanted to put that on my private Facebook page. And that was posted at 8 o'clock in the morning at uh, 10 o'clock. Uh, briefly after that, uh, the contribution was deleted, the post, and with the reason that is against the community roles, rules of Facebook, I am giving wrong information about COVID. And uh, that may put other people's heart risk, health at risk. Absurd. Well, it's interesting that you still have a Facebook account. Well, I was with uh, Facebook. I um, uh, wanted to avoid it for a long time, but I thought um, now that I'm um, uh, running a political campaign, it's important to have a a platform where I can create a community, of course, but it also shows that uh, some people are afraid. I didn't even give any medical information as such. I just um, gave my impression from the uh, from the proceedings. That was too much. Or I used some uh, wording that triggered the deletion uh, algorithm. I don't know. We simply did the following. We made a screenshot. of the uh, deletion uh, note, and I posted that, and uh, now this is much more, um, uh, much wider spread than I would have uh, reached uh, through my Facebook page. That was the ingenious idea of my um, girlfriend to do that, and uh, yeah, that was very successful. Well, but all the censorship continues, of course. I made a three-minute video when we had this uh, uh, state uh, assembly uh, to nominate the uh, candidates for the state's uh, elections, state parliament elections. And this video was deleted on video when it was uploaded on the channel of my party. Um, arguing that I spread uh, misinformation about the vaccination and um, uh, I, uh, I claim that uh, it's dangerous and people can die of it. Well, 
And when I um, held a uh, presentation and posted it in um, uh, again, the entire channel was uh, blocked for two weeks. So um, we need a new um, basis here. Our universities need a new basis, a new foundation. And I did something that will be very good for, uh, would be good for YouTube. I found information from serious and reliable question. Um, what does RKA say? I uh, researched what uh, do they say about uh, PCR tests, how reliable they are. And I uh, uh, found that uh, RKA in 2020 uh, wrote that the virus can be approved after um, many weeks of infection and that it's not comparable to infectious viruses. And then I went on uh, in the same document, page eight, it says that the BC PCR is the gold standard of diagnostics and this usual waffle. And uh, in vitro data had shown, uh, they say that genomic uh, RNA um, on uh, 10 to 100 uh, genomic cases, there is one case. So um, at most, what that means in plain German is that one out of 10 positive tests is um, an actual um, disease. And who wrote this document? Lotavia, the head of uh, RKI. So, and that, even that triggers uh, deletion algorithms. The whole thing is now uh, scrutinized by lawyers. And I also asked, how is it possible that such things uh, are not um, known to the academic community, that uh, academia is so friendly uh, towards government measures and corona measures? I don't want to go into de this detail because that would be too much for the time frame available. But that was too much already, what I posted there. And now, um, uh, let's speak about Abgeordneten Watch. That's MP Watch, basically. Um, they have a, a slogan, transparency creates trust. So people are supposed, citizens are supposed to ask questions to people who run for a political office. And I was asked some weeks ago uh, in mid-April whether I have a good idea of how the dehumanization and the division of society can be overcome. And I uh, answered that we have to look at where it comes from, um, namely from uh, media coverage. I really criticized the unilateral and uh, discriminatory media coverage. And I attached some um, um, proof to support this. Uh, these 80 pages that I wrote um, some time ago, I added a study by Hartmut Danish on uh, the public um, uh, media stations and a study by Martin Henning and uh, Hennis uh, Gref of the University of Passau, who also had uh, analyzed uh, the reporting by the mainstream media on Corona as well, in order to show that it's really uh, unilateral, that it's divisional uh, and uh, 
excluding discriminatory and I uh, argued that you could also uh, read up on that on a contribution uh, from the uh, 20th of uh, December of 21 that uh, people who are not vaccinated are branded as um, uh, dangerous uh, people and um, all these things um, um, uh, some people claim that, for instance, uh, unvaccinated people should be castrated and put into labor camps. So cruel things. And if the journalists had done their job and allowed for pluralism uh, rather than suppressing it, and I referred back to these uh, analyses, and then uh, uh, the website Abgeordneten Watch uh, writes that uh, I don't uh, that my uh, sources are not um, reliable. So the um, uh, my response was not uh, published. A few hours later, what's my view on the Ukraine war? And I uh, had two analyses um, uh, based on what Professor Kreis said. Uh, I think he's been on this uh, uh, committee as well. Um, who uh, argues that we will get very little uh, support by our transatlantic allies because it might be uh, very um, convenient for them to get rid of us in the event of an extension of the war um, to get rid of us as competitors if everything is shot to smithereens. And then it's uh, claimed that uh, it is uh, unacceptable, it's not uh, reliable, it's not reasonable to claim that uh, we uh, might be um, um, economic competitors. And I, I asked, like, what if Karl Lauterbach, he said in um, uh, the federal parliament, um, he said that the unvaccinated um, um, take the whole um, country hostage. And I asked, would he be uh, deleted? And um, the answer was, well, he was subject to the same guidelines as myself. That's not an answer to my question. Of course, everybody's uh, subject to the same guidelines. So in other words, there's censorship and they do the opposite of transparency. It's simply the case that I'm unable to tell um, people where I stand, at least not via this portal. And the idea of um, allowing um, citizens to decide what proof they uh, think is reliable, that would really be information for uh, enlightened citizens that as an interested uh, voter, I uh, might decide for myself what uh, source do I think is reliable and acceptable. Um, that is something that um, uh, readers of um, Abgeordneten Watch don't have because my um, posts aren't even uh, published. So that's more censorship than uh, Tages Zeitung, a left-wing uh, paper, uh, wanted to interview me um, uh, on the uh, claims that I'm a Nazi. And I said there will be no uh, way uh, that I'll give them an interview because I don't have uh, trust in them. We are, we are not alone, Martin. Yes, and I'm not going to move an inch, quite sure. Well, at the end of the day, they achieve the opposite of what they want to achieve, not only with us, but globally. People that I know.
um, uh, they um, are very critical and they become more and more particularly based on such activities. Martin, in Leuchtturm, uh, lighthouses are not allowed to move an inch. What are you saying? Well, for a lighthouse, it's very important that they don't move an inch. I don't care whether I'm a, a beacon or not, I won't shift my position. You never did, and you're much more of a beacon than I am, um, Wolfgang. Uh, you argued against this from the get-go, and I first had to understand the medical ba uh, background. But that, Martin, is what makes you even more credible. I went through the same thing. In the beginning, I said, well, we'll be something right, what the mainstream says, not well-researched, but anyway, um, what politics do, okay, you can't trust them. But Corona opened my eyes uh, to what's really going on here, that there's not a single public uh, narrative that you can believe. You have to scrutinize everything and always come up with your own opinion. We learned a lot in those two years. That's quite right. And um, actually, in all areas of politics, I'd have to get hold of my own information because I won't get it from the old media. So I really have to collect things tediously myself. And more and more people do so. And of course, the journalists of the old media find out about this. Uh, one of their favorite articles to prove this, to prove the fear that is that drives them, is a Spiegel article from 5th of January 22 from Jesha Logo. And the title is The Thinking Pest. The Thinking Pest is apparently the inclination um to to doubt things and um it's uh, like a stink that you exert which others smell and you don't that's about the expression that they used and um that people actually dare to get their own information rather than following the reporting of the so-called quality media where would we get if we start thinking ourselves and uh, select our own sources of information one could start to think that uh, for 250 years we are in the age of enlightening and uh, Mrs. Lo Mr. Logo wants to throw us back before these times. Um, I have quoted this in uh, a couple of uh, public uh, speeches I've made and uh, said uh, it's this kind of article is the end of the bell who that tolls for the quality media. Uh, the Spiegel may, may have been the flagship of uh, the democracy. Now it is only the front tank of the former lobby. Well, yes, um, Sasha Logo is the one with the Iroquois uh, haircut, right? Um, so some people have, uh, he seems to have too many, uh, uh, too much hair. Mr. Lindner had some hair implanted. He seems to have too little and Mr. Logo seems to have too much. So he has to cut it off, right? Anyway, that that was below their well, that was below their level right now. That's not no good. I know there's another aspect. Um, um, I really have my doubts about Mr. Logo. 
Okay, anyway, it is very comforting to see that you are still stable. Uh, you've got good support, not only within the party, by those people who um, have missed you in the um, committee, and you have private support, and that makes a difference, I think. That's very, very good to see. And there is someone else who won't yield, and that's uh, sorry, uh, Bhakti. And I feel that's important uh, to uh, expose this here. Uh, Zorid Bhakti was an expert uh, speaking to the Senate on Monday, and he made his uh, statement. And his talent is to explain these things in a way that um, uh, people can understand. And that is a talent that the uh, uh, surgeons here from the armed forces do not have, as we could clearly see, and he is actually exposing himself to uh, risks. Why? Because the science ministry in Rhineland-Palatinate is trying to um, strip him of his professorship. Is there any reason for that? The reason? Uh, he's accused of two um, statements above all. First of all, the statement that this is a, an experimental uh, genetic uh, therapy, so that this was an experimental um, vaccine. Uh, I don't know the exact wording, but he said experimental, and that is something that the ministry doesn't expect um, because they insist that this um, vaccine has been uh, appropriately tested and approved. And then uh, they're holding an interview with Kai Stutt against him that the fact checkers of the uh, traditional media um, uh, criticized because he said Israel a living hell because he pointed out the uh, vaccination um, damage. Uh, he's uh, called it a holocaust, and uh, it was, um, um, and they claim that he is uh, belittling uh, the Nazi crimes. So now I have been um, asked to give my expert opinion, and I um, indicated uh, very briefly uh, what I will uh, say, what I will speak about. And as counsel uh, for this case, I tried to get the same team uh, that we're using in the armed forces case um, to support Suarit uh, Bhakti. But it seems to be a case where we will need a lot of money because that uh, will require a big team. And I, I myself, uh, don't charge any money for my uh, corona activities, but the um, lawyers on the team live off um, their activities. So I might approach uh, the corona committee um, uh, soon enough to spread a um, call for donations because the team can only do this if they are appropriately paid. On the other hand, if the ministry manages to take down one uh, person speaking out, then they'll um, uh, target one after the other. Um, uh, it is uh, particularly shocking that it was the university itself who suggested that he be uh, stripped of his professorship. 
So that will be again a case that I can't handle on my own. I will need uh, legal support, legal help. So that will require some money. But that is the next aspect. We will have publicity here as well. These things must not stay in the dark. We need to stand uh, behind Rahit Bhakti uh, as one. Not only him, they are uh, trying to take down anyone who contradicts the uh, official narrative. And uh, there are a lot of things that we don't even know because reliable data is not made available to us. Quite true. We are not at the end of the investigation yet. I think there's bad things coming up, and uh, but we are well underway. And these uh, very blunt attempts to uh, stop this can't be stopped. Uh, experimental substance. You just have to point out the uh, ruling of the Sicily case. Um, where they use this, and uh, Kai Stud never ever, I heard this echo that he didn't say it clearly, stupid, he was very, very clear, I listened to it, and what was interpreted by the interested circles had nothing whatsoever to do with anti-Jewish or whatever connotation, it was the straight opposite of what he said. Well, if I may say this uh, here, in my uh, presentation, I said um, we can only interpret it such that he's afraid that history may repeat itself, what happened in Germany before, and against the backdrop of this dark history that we had in Germany between 1933 and 45, has uh, the whole thing um, looks really very sinister. That's what he meant to say, and that's what I try to expound. But what we need are reliable data from uh, Israel. I have already uh, presented a contribution uh, that uh, shows that uh, there has been excess mortality since the start of the vaccination campaign. That needs to be analyzed. And as long as this is not done, please don't. Um, accuse it of uh, spreading nonsense here. Quite the contrary is the case. So an attempt is made here to suppress the truth um, at any cost, but at least the uh, federal administrative course, um, at least the first Senate um, uh, has insisted on hearing Surit. Um, It doesn't mean that they uh, believe what he said, but they heard his statement. That's an important signal. Martin, I know it's a bit difficult that um, you have to use the phone and your computer uh, at once, but um, we are especially grateful that you have given us this information. There couldn't have been any better expert to do this. Well. Basically, um, the whole team had a similar impression. 
Well, if uh, some of my colleagues had been here, they would have uh, presented a bit differently. Um, they were able to hang around until the end, where I, well, I had to leave a bit early. But I believe that we sent a clear signal to uh, the armed forces telling them that we were listening closely and we will ca catch you out on every contradiction you uh, entangle yourselves in, and we will not let this go. I think it's very important that, uh, I think it's great that you uh, run for office in the uh, state parliament, and uh, I wish that North Rhine-Westphalia will have you as an MP, because your questions, your expertise is um, going to bring lots of light into the parliament, even if there is no majorities. The fact that somebody like you asks question and uh, puts their finger in the wound um, can only improve politics on a state level. You have my support, and I'm happy that you run for office. Well, thank you very much. Well, me too, Martin. Okay, Martin, thank you. I don't think it's only us. I think it's everyone who follow Corona Ausschuss, um, who uh, follow this. And I don't think it's restricted to Germany. Many people are happy about so clear and uh, well-based words, as you've said. I have hope now. I didn't in the beginning, but I do have hope that uh, it's exactly the administrative court may show that we have a rule of law. Let's see what the outcome is. Well, if uh, new things transpire that are worth reporting, we try to build a homepage for the uh, case as a whole. It's important to inform the public about um, the progress of the case, and the public interest in this whole thing is huge and uh, completely uh, for good reason, of course. We'll see how uh, honestly um, the public authorities handle the data uh, base, and we'll see what new findings we'll have. Uh, a lot can transpire until the 7th of June. Well, we'll see what the assessment of Bundeswehr is. Well, what we just heard from you, the reaction, uh, those are um, uh, military surgeons, right? Um, they're, they're at least um, knowledgeable people. Their reaction wouldn't make us believe that on the um, part of the leadership of uh, the armed forces, we're dealing uh, with um, a case of, um, well, uh, uh, um, of uh, subversion of the national defense. Well, we'll see uh, whether it is uh, um, effective if uh, that applies and uh, whether the people have to, the soldiers have to submit themselves to the shot. Um, we'll have to go into the details of that. Great. Uh, great, Martin, for you to update us here. Um, it's very important. We'll, um, we'll continue monitoring this with great interest. We can see if um, new things transpire after the uh, 6th and 7th of June. We might get a uh, fresh report from you, uh, interview again. 
Um, with a report from the lion's den, shall we say. Well, you could call it that, yes. Good. Thank you, Martin. Uh, thanks a lot and have a nice weekend. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye. Well, well, quite things going on, we have to say. Lots of outcome. I'm keen to see how these things evolve, and I think it's very good that these people have to uh, face these questions, and that will make clear where the army is, where the court is, do they really live up to uh, taking care for the soldiers' lives? And that's really something for the policemen, who are used for loads of things uh, to hit the uh, citizens um, and to disturb democratic processes like rallies. And if they're not taken care of on the other side, um, that has a certain bitter taste to it. You could put it this way, yes. Okay. It's the end of the day. Well, do we have any more videos to show, or have we done everything? I think we've played all the videos we've had. Yeah, I can see that's it, yeah. It's quite late here already. Uh, not with you, um, Rainer, but here it is. Okay, so we thank you for watching, and um, as always I say, we depend on donations and are happy to get support, and uh, we have important things up the pipeline. Oval Media do the technical production, and they can only do that uh, if they get donations money. In that way, takes us to the end of the show. I wish you a wonderful Friday night and a good weekend, and we'll meet again next week.